what really gets my dick hard is What? So uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna play back some of the band's new songs. There'll be no cameras allowed in there. There'll be no video, no bags in there. You can only walk in with paper and a pencil. We're ready. Okay. Any questions? Some kind of Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And here we are at episode number 47, and we are finally getting to what we've talked about for numerous episodes. We're doing Some Kind of Monster, part one. Yeah, we decided to break it up into two episodes because there's, well, first of all, it's it's a long-ass documentary. Two, there's just a lot to unpack, you know? There's a lot of, they, they cram a lot of stuff in this thing. I mean, it, it's, you know, it spans like, what, 700 plus days or something? It's over 700 days of filming. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot to cover in this thing. I mean, Clint and I both took so many notes on this thing. I mean, it was like, I deposit so many times to like get quotes and things like that. So yeah, we figured best uh, to split this up into two parts. So before we get into that, uh, if you're, if you're just here for the first time, I don't know where you've been this whole year, but welcome. Uh, We're Metallica podcast. Every week we talk about all things Metallica. We're Metallica nerds. Yep. Just like you. Remember what we used to say? We know more than you. We know less than you. That's true. Very true. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of that's kind of the flag we we're waving over here. So, if you just listening for the first time, welcome aboard. We're going to do some housekeeping crap. Uh, a few months ago, we got T-shirts, and a whole bunch of you bought them. And I was going to say, if you've bought a T-shirt, send us a picture of you wearing it, and we'll put it on our socials. Yes, please I know, do. I know Sarah has sent in. A few things. A few people have sent that, but we sold a bunch of shirts, and I, we'd like to get some pictures of that. So. Oh, yeah. And Sarah, and we've talked about this before, but she, I mean, she straight up sent us a picture of her wearing it at the show in the UK. It was amazing. She's representing. Oh, yeah. Very much so. And if you're newer, if you're a new listener to the podcast and you're just kind of joining us and getting on the ride, and you haven't even heard us mention t-shirts, there you go. We have shirts for sale. Shoot us an email, metalupyourpodcastshow@gmail.com, and we will let you know how to get one of those. Yep, they're twenty bucks, and that includes the shipping. If you're in the states, if you're out of the states, we'll figure something out. But yeah, <clears throat> super easy to do. We're on all the socials. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that crap. It's pretty fun. We kind of camp out there during the day, and we. It's mostly us joking with fans about inside jokes, and it's a yeah. lot of Hulk Hogan retweeting. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the coolest things we're doing is we're doing this contest. We have purchased the Master Puppets Deluxe box set, and we've also gotten a bunch of other prizes, too. So for November, we're doing a contest. If you leave us a positive review on iTunes, your name goes into a master list. We're going to draw five names. Grand prize, Master of Puppets Deluxe box set. Then when the next, we got a bunch of like cool little like swag stuff. We got a Master of Puppets blanket, a pint set of Ride the Lightning and Puppets, a, a set of shot glasses, and a flask for all, for all you alcoholics out there. That's right. 
Uh, and so the deal is, we're going to do one of these every month. We're going to probably have three to five winners every single month. So even if you don't win in November, by leaving us a positive review, you're eligible for any contest we do in the future. Exactly. And I think we talked about it on the, on the previous episode, but we also, uh, through a, a, a kind donation from our new friend Tiffany, who's a new listener on the podcast, hooked us up with a bunch of like very rare, awesome Met Club t-shirts. So those will be part of contest giveaways. So stay tuned for that in future episodes. You want to tell them about the old Patreon? I do. Uh, all that stuff Clint just mentioned, getting the box set and the, the blanket and all that stuff, all that is made possible by the people that support the show financially through a site called Patreon. And it is uh, patreon.com slash podcast that is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And it's a way for you to give back to the show just to uh, financially support it in any way you'd like uh, from a dollar all the way up to $5 million. And uh, the coolest part about it, which we've talked about a bunch, which is going to be very soon, you're going to hear it, or patrons are going to hear it is that if you donate five bucks or more you get access to our metallica cover ep yeah so, ethan and i have ethan and i've taken six metallica songs well seven really because you're going to get the unnamed feeling and yeah uh, we've sort of reimagined them a lot of ethan's are this kind of cool outlaw kind of dark country shit and all yeah. mine are real real brooding dark acoustic treatment so you're going to get all that stuff we're going to do patreon specific contests in the future where we give all of our patrons a bunch of gifts so what other podcast, Ethan, gives away all these goddamn gifts so generously like we do? I don't think any do. I don't know. I mean, well, you know, uh, buddy Ryan over there is speaking a story. He's giving away the Kill 'Em All box set, and if he hasn't already, I'm not sure when his deadline is. But, but we're uh, we're kind of the the, the Santa Clauses of uh, the Metallica world here, and we're giving away a lot of shit. <laughs> I like to think of me and you like in just in one Santa Claus outfit, but both of like a two-headed like monster Santa Claus. That or like I'm I'm the legs and you're the arms and head or something. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of like the Voltron of Santa Claus. Oh yeah, uh, we, we, yeah. By day we're just normal touring musicians. By yeah. night we transform into a two-headed monster. Claus. Exactly. <laughs> uh, hey, let's uh, get into. Oh yeah, I, I'm, uh, so, I'm sorry. I cut you. We, cut you off. Were we both about to say the same exact thing? Let's get into some fucking emails. Emails. Ethan, you want to start us off on the emails? Would I? All right, first email is from Travis. He says, Metallica have, in fact, covered Iron Maiden. On the Hardware Deluxe Edition, there's a cover of Remember Tomorrow. Very cool stuff. Okay, listen, everyone. Yeah, listen up. Remember when we <laughs> said, we know more than you, we know less than you? You know what? Sometimes we're going to skip some things uh, on accident, or maybe we just, you know, we're, we're absent-minded one night and we forget. This is, I don't know if this is uh, on par with the Outlaw Torn, but it's getting there. We've gotten so many emails and tweets and comments well, about... the Outlaw Torn is just so much more egregious than us forgetting about the song. But we've re we received a lot of feedback, and uh, we now definitely know that uh, Iron Maiden has been covered by our beloved Metallica. We appreciate you all setting it right. Let's never speak of it again. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Speaking of, the, the uh, Metallica never covered the Misfits. Oh, uh, actually, they did. <laughs> my darling. Well, I hope no one broke their goddamn pelvises rushing to the laptop to set us right on that. It seemed, <laughs> seemed like a flurry of email. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Travis. We really do appreciate it. You know, we really don't know everything. We're, we're just like you guys, kind of excited about this band. We just love this fucking band. Of course, so, yeah. You know what? Any, you know, any, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, what I was going to say is that one thing that, that the onslaught of Iron Maiden cover emails did for me is it really made me want to dive way deeper into that deluxe edition of Hardwired because when it came out, like I kind of skimmed through the songs, but I was just mostly excited about the new originals, you know. Um, and so I haven't really spent much time with that. That I that, haven't either. That second disc. So we'll, we'll do an episode on that whole thing at some point. But um, but yeah. So I guess if there's a positive to come out of it, it's that. Well, we do appreciate it. I'm, we're mostly just ribbing you guys. Um, anytime you guys want to write in and, and hang with us and make us better and more knowledgeable fans, we we are gracious. So our next email is from Adriel Vinson, who says, I just want to say thanks for this awesome podcast series. It's pretty rare that I find people whose commentary I agree with, but I agree with pretty much every point you guys make. Um, hopefully not with the Iron Maiden point that we made on the last episode. <laughs> yeah. He, he says, it's really cool to hear other people talk about Metallica with as much passion as I do. No one around me is a fan, so I never get to hear other perspectives on songs or albums. It's cool to hear what other people think about Metallica's amazing music, especially as a young fan who has only been listening for about a year. Wow, wow. only a year. Dude, Adriel, you've got <clears throat> such a fun ride ahead of you. Welcome. Welcome to the Metallica well, world, my friend. Welcome to Metallica world. Wacky Metalla world. It's so wacky. It gets real wacky around 2003. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it really does. Yeah. No joke. Well, thanks for that email, man. Um, the next email is from Junebug Fugit. Fugit. I know, but f- I like saying Fugit because it's... You know. Oh, okay. So, from Junebug Fugit, um, <laughs> says, hey guys, I enjoyed your Garage Days re-revisited episode. Great job as always. Uh, I read an interview with Lars around the time uh, that Garage Inc., and they said that they like to clean the slate and pay tribute to their influences after every three albums. They did it with Garage Days We Revisited after Kill, Ride, and Puppets. Then we got Garage Inc. after Justice the Black Album and the Load Albums. So technically, we're due for another trip around the garage after there's a St. Anger, Death Magnetic, and Hardwired. Um, if the next release is another Garage Days, um, what would you guys like to see? Uh, who, sorry, uh, who would you guys like to see on the album? Um, would you guys like to see them pay another tribute to the bands that influenced them in the early days, or would you like to see them cover some newer bands that have inf- influenced them? As always, keep up the good work, Junebug Fuget. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them do like a Soundgarden tune from, from Bad Motorfinger. Yeah, I, I think that... Like, what I mean, if they did Jesus Christ pose or something? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, or I could see them doing some like uh, Alice in Chains stuff. Um I don't know. I think that's kind of the the, the newer of the the artists. I would li- I would like to personally hear them cover. Um, I do like their philosophy of hey, you guys check this out. We're going to cover it. This is the these are some of the bands that influence us. But I mean, they gave us that with Garage Days. They more than gave us that with Garage Inc. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd like maybe a mix of some other maybe kind of heavy '90s stuff that they were influenced by slash old school stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd rather just hear original new tunes, to be honest with you. Yeah, for I'm sure. Not a, I'm not a huge fan of any band really doing big cover collections. I mean, I like them if they're done well. I think Garage Inc. was done very well, and it sounds good. Yeah, Garage Inc. is great. And gra- and obviously, if you heard our last episode, we loved the 590 ADP, but... Yeah. When well, I think and, about and, moving forward with Metallica, I don't have a lot of space occupied for them to camp out in covers world. Well, and let's be honest. I mean, they're, I mean, they're getting older and stuff. It's like you know, hopefully they're not going to take another eight years to make another album. If that much time goes by and all we get is a cover album, it's going to be like, oh, come on, guys. But right. um, but we'll see. You know, I mean, if they put out something, of course we'll check it out and we'll, and we'll probably dig it. But I, like Clint, would rather hear uh, another record of originals sometime. Well, in the think near about future. it. The, those two covers albums came out in a time in their career where there was a lot of pressure to get some new material out. I, they're beyond right. that. 
Yeah, I think they're so. going to do. They're going to do whatever. Obviously, they took them eight years to get from Death Magnetic to Hardwired, and and blah blah blah. We know they did a bunch of shit in between. They made a movie, and but I'm just saying, there there's not as much pressure to get material out. Yeah, totally. Uh, but it is an interesting thought experiment. It is. Thank you for the email, Junebug. Thanks, Junebug. Ian Kuretzman writes, Hey, fellas, haven't written in a while. Just wanted to say I appreciate the podcast and I'm very much enjoying the content. Just watched Cunning Stunts and it was great. I love diving into old and live Metallica performances. It's great to look back and see what things have changed and what they've kept in their live performances. Thanks again for all you do for the Metallica community. Don't stop. Your brother in metal, Ian Kuretzman. Thanks, dude. Don't stop podcasting. <laughs> Did we just cross uh, over to a Journey podcast? I think we've been a Journey podcast this whole time, actually. This next episode is about their current lead singer, who's they found on YouTube. What's that guy's name? That guy's name is also Steve, isn't it? Uh, I have no idea. Any Journey fans out there? Actually, don't let uh, us know. It's fine. We can look it up if we. No, no, no. Any Journey fans out there? We'll wait. We'll wait for the answer. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Any Journey fans out there? <laughs> Cricket. Cricket. Okay. Oh wait, this isn't a call-in show. Oh right, shit. Uh, <laughs> Ian, thank you for uh, thank you for the email and uh, thank you for getting involved and watching things like Cunning Stunts if you haven't seen already or if you're rewatching it. Uh, yeah, it's cool to dive in deep like we've been doing. Well, we get messages every week with whatever whatever current thing we're talking about, and people are always kind of jumping into whatever the subject is. So it's it's exciting knowing that a bunch of our listeners are kind of on the same parts of the ride that we're on. Yes, exactly. And I've been doing that with, uh, I've been listening to Single Podcast Theory, our friend's Pearl Jam podcast, and like any, you know, whatever record they're talking about, I find myself listening to it. So I yeah. I understand how that can be kind of contagious. Oh, it definitely can. I mean, obviously we have to, we have to do it for this show, but you know, even after we release an episode on a certain record, like I find myself listening to that record a bunch that week, even after we've already yep. recorded it. So yeah, it's a good, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's good fun over here. All right. Our last email. It's from Joe B. Hey, guys. I was uh, so excited to see the topic of this week's episode and wanted to share some pictures of my own copy of this record. Oh, and she sent us, like, pictures of her vinyl of the 590ADP. Yes, totally. Um, she says, a couple years ago, I was killing time at my local record store before meeting up with a friend. I saw this al- album, um, s- stared at it, flipped it over, and, and was wondering wh- uh, what it was for a few seconds. The front of the picture disc wasn't aligned with the cutout sleeve. So it looked like a surrealist jumble of eight heads uh, and a lot of hair, she says, or you were on a lot of drugs, either one or yeah, both. I, th- I think you were, yeah, it's probably about a bit of yeah, both. Maybe both. Yeah. Um, I froze and I realized what I was holding. Um, having uh, read it was out of print as a teen in the nineties made me think I'd never see it in person and I'd never even tried searching for it. Uh, not knowing about Discogs, which is a very cool site, by the way, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, uh, I realized it's not terribly hard to get one, uh, one's hand on a copy but at the time stumbling upon this in person in a random shop felt like everything in the universe had aligned it was truly a special moment and i'll remember it for a long time hope you're both well keep on kicking ass well um first of all it is very very exciting to be thumbing through a record store in a certain bin and all of a sudden see something that yeah might be out of print and you could you know probably find it online easily but it's in your hands. It's like that old school way of searching for records. No, it's the great hunt. I mean, the band that, uh, my country band that I travel with, a few of us are big vinyl freaks and we go to record stores every weekend. And, you know, it's, it's shit we could easily, we're all pretty heavy into Discogs as well. If you guys don't know about Discogs, it's D-I-S-C-O-G-S. And 
it's a place where you can sort of keep track of your collection, but you can also peruse other people's collections, and it's a big marketplace yeah. of records. It's a really fucking awesome. Oh yeah, site. I, I, I've I've bought like uh, kind of rare vinyl uh, through Discogs, like from some yeah. kid in J- Japan or something. You know, Me it's too. really cool. And that's you know that's going to be the future of buying physical media because you know what what I'm seeing as I tour the country every year round and round is that these places are closing. So. Right, but there's exactly. No, there's nothing like fucking feeling that in your hands when you're just looking through like a just in like you know the just in bins. Those are always the things I go to first. The yeah, exactly. The new arrivals if they haven't sorted yet, like that no one's really picked through. Mm-hmm. There may be some gems in there no one's grabbed. You know, totally, man. That's cool. I've never. I've actually out of all my record store. I mean, I've been into vinyl for about twelve or thirteen years. I've right. never seen Garage Days re revisited. In the wild, as they say. In the wild, yeah. It's a tough thing. Um, I mean, even sometimes finding, you know, early pressings of any of the other early records, Lightning or Puppets and stuff, like when you see them, it's like, oh, shit. I I, I am proud to say my Lightning, my Puppets, and my Justice are all like old 80s pressings. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, of course, like you know, when you get like the re- the reissues, the 180 gram vinyl, that's always fun to fun, you know, a good thing to have too. Like some of my new, I have like the black album on 180 gram vinyl. Kill 'em all, I have the the, the uh, remastered version, things like that. Yeah, all mine are the blackened recordings reissues from like 2014, I think. Okay, nice. So, and I've seen people complain about the quality. Like, I can't tell. I mean, I've got a nice record player; they sound fine to me. Yeah, I'm with you. Turn them up loud. There's no problem. Exactly. Um, uh, cool. Thanks, Joe. Good to hear from you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes the emails. The emails. Well, uh, what do you say we get into some facts about some kind of monster? Yeah, we're going to talk, kind of talk. I think this is going to take up a little more time, too, than maybe it normally does, because there's a lot. A lot of interesting subtext swirling around this film before we, and then we're going to kind of talk through the film a little bit. We're going to insert some clips about what we're talking about, give you some context. But yeah, let's kind of just talk through some of the facts. And I think, I think it's going to spur a lot of other conversation. Yeah, for sure. I 100% will. Um, well, first off, uh, this was released January 24th, 2004 at the Sundance Film Festival. And the very next day was released in theaters on January 25th of 2004. Um, they did a re-release November 20th, 2014 on Blu-ray. And I think right. we've mentioned this on the show before that they released it the same week that Craig, Craig Kilborn was going off the air and Metallica played every one of his shows that week. Well, and I think they were promoting through the never also. They were. Yeah. So it was coinciding with that. Cause it, the, cause the Blu-ray also comes with the, that 25 minute kind of like, you know, follow up segment. They, they call yeah. it this monster lives. Yeah. The 10th anniversary. Totally. Uh, I th- one thing that was really funny, if anyone's seen uh, all those shows of Craig, uh, not Craig Kilburn. <laughs> Craig Kilburn. Craig, Craig Ferguson, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they play, they play a different song each night and stuff, but, uh, but Craig Ferguson totally gives them shit for re-releasing on Blu-ray. He's like, says something like, why would you want to put this out again? <laughs> right. But um, anyway, so moving on, it was directed and produced by uh, Joe uh, Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. Um, and these dudes, uh, they did a 1994 documentary about the West Memphis three called paradise lost, which was the first film to ever that Metallica approved their music to be used in. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder what it really was about that, that they felt like they, they was cool enough to sort of lend their licensing to probably cool. I mean, probably they thought it was probably cool enough and maybe they were involved in the story and maybe they felt like 
you know, we're on the side of these dudes that they should be free. And they kind of had a passion for that film and that project. Um, right. But that, that was the documentary these guys made that led them to approach Metallica to do a, uh, as they say, a no, a no holds barred look at, at the band. Um, well, and speaking of, of Joe Berlinger or Berlinger, Berlinger, Berlinger. Um, I just want to say real quick, he wrote a book about the making of the film called uh, This Monster Lives. And uh, I haven't read it in a few years, but it was one of my favorite Metallica reads. I think I'm going to read it again before we do part two next week. But okay, I encourage anyone to check it out. It's it's really kind of cool behind the scenes of a documentary that itself is behind. It's super meta, bro. So metal. Oh my God, it's so fucking deep. <laughs> um. Well, the, the the film um, did pretty well at the box office. It made uh, over two million two million dollars, which is cool. Yeah, that's not great though. That's actually not, they lost they lost money because did you yeah. know that did you know that Metallica themselves actually purchased the rights from Elektra for the, for the film? Yeah. Well, so originally the film was supposed to just be two sixty minute infomercials for Metallica's new record that they were going to play like late night ah, as kind of okay. as kind of a new like a a new way to try to sell a record. And what happened was Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky showed up and Jason quits the band. And they're like, Oh shit. Uh, Q prime brings Phil in and they're like, Oh shit. You know, oh, they shit. Just, <laughs> so they just decide to keep filming. So at some point, you know, cause as we mentioned earlier, they filmed for like 715 days. Yeah. It was crazy. At some point in the middle of that, Electra is like, hey guys, this is getting really expensive. We want to just we uh, at one point, dude. Electra wanted to make a reality series out of it. Gosh, that would but have been ba- lower than they were oh already. Oh my at. god, I'm so glad that didn't happen. But so the but but thank goodness the band and the filmmakers kind of like they had a vision for it being like a, a film, like a real film. So Metallica right, exactly. bought so Metallica bought the rights from Electra for $4.3 million. So they still lost money in the box office. Yeah. They, well, 2 million is pretty not great. I mean, I guess it's okay for like an indie documentary. Yeah. But the amount of money they spent on it. And then, um, and it's, it's interesting. Like when uh, we talk about them losing money on this thing and then you fast forward to them hiring Rob and then going over all the legal stuff about what ownership he has. And they even say, so if this film loses money, that's on these three guys, not you. Right. Right. And And it did. Because he wasn't having to assume the risk, you know. Exactly. I, but I can't help but thinking, and I don't want to jump ahead here, but maybe they would have saved some goddamn money if they hadn't been paying old Phil Big Cosby sweatered towel forty fucking grand 000. a month. Forty grand a month. Forty grand a month. A month. That's I insane. Mean, <laughs> Gosh, I could pay my house off in two and a half months. <laughs> oh my god, that is expensive. That's so expensive, but he was like, I think he went, I'm pretty sure he went from, cause he's from Kansas city and he was like doing therapy for like the Kansas city chiefs or something. Well, he, well, here's what's interesting though. Did you know that in the mid nineties, he had to surrender his therapy license to the Kansas behavioral sciences regulatory board? I did not you, know that. And do you know why? Because of a, it, he was quote unquote cited for a litany of violations, including continuing treatment when it was not beneficial to the client. Does that ring a bell about uh, old I Phil? I think old Phil Selma's house in Kansas city. Well, I, you know, I haven't said removing to San Francisco. Exactly. And, what and James, James is going, and James is going, man, I think we need to like be done. And Phil's like, well, I, I, I still think we have trust issues to work out. Like, oh my God gosh. Damn, Phil. He's just hanging on. Dude, that guy made a killing off Metallica. 
he's like, look, James, I'm saying this because I really care about you. I really do think I have a few more $40,000 checks to cash. <laughs> I really it's do. A, it's in, because like, but it's, yeah, in it's, your, but it's in your best interest though. No, it's for you. I have a few more terrible yellow sweaters to buy. Um, I have a few terrible lyrics to write. Here's another thing that I don't understand about this guy that's making that bank. Why does he look like such slobby shit? Like, why can't he look like, I want him walking in like 007 with a watch that like, you know, flushes the toilet and <laughs> turns into a hologram of like Elvis. But he's kind of like, he's kind of like disheveled and frumpy. It's kind of like a dude that like somehow talked his way into it. Like, how, like how did he convince Q Prime management to get on board with that? <laughs> I don't know. We'll get we'll get into all the more phil- philisms as we go along with this, but let's get to the facts first, so we don't get off track here. Okay, where are we at on the facts? I have no idea. Um, um uh, here's here's a little a little fact. Uh, there, uh, how the band felt about this documentary being made and and after it was done. Um, Lars was quoted as saying, "We were at a crossroads. We've uh, been really good at being able to." Co- uh, car- compartmentalize a lot of this stuff suppress it with drinking or other um why why can't i pronounce words tonight extravagances extra vagances Mm -hmm. (laughs) extravagances um this was the first time we had to talk to each other get to know each other and work stuff out the cameras were there catching all of it so i mean like and even on that craig uh, ferguson show they talk about like you know what this is what happened back then. This is the low point we were at and we filmed it and it's just, we, you know, it's a, it's a part of our history that needed to happen that we, you know, so happened to capture on film. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that we heard from a lot of our listeners is maybe one of the revelations about St. Anger a few weeks ago, you know, this thing kept coming up that, that they had to make St. Anger or they wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have been able to continue as a band. Right. I, I think right. it's really less about the record and actually more about the film. I think the film is really what kept them alive because yeah. Lars even went on to say, he talked about how, you know, the, the fact that the cameras were there, it helped keep them on track. And he talks about how having another set of eyes and ears there kind of made everyone mind their P's and Q's a little more. And right. He, yeah. He's even quoted saying, I think it kept the whole thing from derailing talking about the film being made. Yeah. That's crazy. And so it's, it's, it's this weird sort of like, I don't know. It's this, it's sort of like an axiom because on one hand, it's like they're so transparent, right? Like it's like them super raw. On the other hand, it's you know you're not going to act naturally when you're being re- you know when you're being recorded. It's of course, just not yeah. going to happen. No, no, no. So you, I do think they were being honest and raw, but you've also kind of got this veneer of posturing because they're on camera. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, you know what I'm saying? It's such a strange thing. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, Hetfield talks about it in the documentary. You know, like especially when he comes back from rehab, he's like, "Oh, the cameras are still here," and, and my friend, the boom, my friend, the boom, yeah. You know, and and it, you know, on one end, maybe it did keep him kind of on track from not derailing. You know, at the same time, I mean, there's plenty of times in this film you see, especially James, being so uncomfortable with those cameras rolling. Well, it's a lot of him being uncomfortable with the cameras. It's a lot of him being uncomfortable with the material they're writing. Him being uncomfortable with Lars and the band and oh, himself. Yeah. Phil's like, lyrics. <laughs> well, he Phil hands him that little note, and James just looks at it, and then he just he turns the chair away. I know it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> There's a close up of the lyrics that he gives to James. I didn't pause it to read them, but 
you I'm, know, they're just I'm all, sure it's incredible. It's just all therapy lyrics, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, uh, you know, and we'll get into Phil a little bit more later, but like, it is cool that at a certain point, yeah, they were kind of sick of him. It was time to move on from Phil. But as much as I hate to admit it, like he did have a good hand in like keeping those guys like, you know, on track and working out their shit. Well, James described Phil in the documentary as an angel. You know, he says yeah, he did. Phil's like an angel sent to me, and an expensive, an expensive ass angel. Oh yeah, I mean, I can't afford a forty thousand dollars a month angel. If I was Hello? paying someone forty thousand dollars a month to be my therapist, I would make them dress like an angel every week. Oh my god, I would make them do lots of uncouth things if I'm paying them forty thousand dollars. Phil, your angel month. wings are dirty. Go get them dry cleaned right now out of your paycheck, and uh, come back and we'll talk about shit. $40,000. Good God. I know. It's insane. But you know, there was a lot to be said about that. And I did see an interesting interview with James. This is later, I think, when they were doing press for the Blu-ray. And uh, he's talking about that scene that we'll get to here shortly where, you know, that's a kind of awkward scene where Phil's sort of outstaying his welcome as he was, you know, as he has a history of doing. And James says, uh, he's like, man, you know, Phil has issues too. Like Phil has abandonment issues that were coming out when he thought we were abandoning him and yeah, it's just interesting to see like uh, Chuck Klosterman had a pretty interesting quote about this where he, he talks about like everyone involved in the making of this movie was clearly not okay. Like, right. Cause, cause Joe Berlinger and the, and uh, the other cat, uh, Bruce Sanofsky who were partners, they were like starting to come apart too as a partnership. I'm sure they were. Well, they, it's, well, they were, it's a fact. No, no, yeah. No, but I mean, like, uh, yeah, how could you not? I mean, being in right. that environment, you know? Well, I think they just worked together a lot and they were there. They had ego problems between them. Obviously Phil's all weirded out with Phil. Even Bob's kind of fucked up in this, you know? Oh, I mean, there, there's points where Bob's in, in the therapy sessions, like, you know, spilling his heart or like kind of fighting back with Phil. He's like, you know, I'm just sick of this shit. Like when he's, when he's posting all the little notes around the studio and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're all just so lost and fucked up. It's such a fascinating film. It is. Um, should we... T- so there is... We're going to sort of dissect the Dave Mustaine scene later because it's so... It's probably the most ludicrous part of the film to me. But... Yeah, it, it's, yeah it's pretty... But there's drama about it, right? Because Dave didn't give permission for them to use it or... Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a couple of Mustaine facts that obviously you don't see in the documentary. But, like... Um, one of the interesting to me being is that the the Mustaine and Lars meeting um, was very tense and stuff because it was only two days after nine eleven and it was also Dave's fortieth birthday. <laughs> wow! So the, so they're kind of big events. One obviously uh, collective and one very personal. Right. Exactly. Ooh, did you just did you just? Uh, that was a that's a tecate because I'm in Mexico City. Kaching. Um. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, obviously, it's uncomfortable in all accounts. I mean, they haven't really, like, gotten to talk about this stuff ever. James isn't there for him to talk with, you know, uh, talk about the stuff with. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, basically, the producers reached out to Dave Mustaine for his approval, um, including footage of his 2000, 2001 meeting with Lars. And even though Mustaine denied, he didn't want it in there originally, but he had earlier signed a release form giving the band and the producers right to, uh, rights to use the footage. So... I guess kind of his mistake if he didn't want it in there, but, um, yeah, and then he later, this is crazy. He later claimed that it, that marked the final betrayal and that he's now given up hope to ever fully reconciling with his former bandmates. 
So that's classic dramatic Dave. That's so, that's so Dave. Hello, final betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, of course, we all know that like in in 2010 yeah, they, 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 they went on fine. to they were fine. They did the big four shows and there were hugs given and and you know I think they're they're maybe not like you know BFFs now, but you know they, they I think they squashed a lot of the, that past. Well, it's clear that it wasn't the final betrayal. <laughs> the final betrayal. <laughs> Yeah, that does sound like a Queensryche song or something, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Operation Mindcrime. Operation Mindcrime Part 5. <laughs> I've never gotten into Queensryche, by the way. I think Silent Lucidity kicks ass. That's it. That's all I know. You know, I, I used to think it kicked ass, and I, I, I've heard it in, in recent weeks. And I was like, my first thought was like, God, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Someone wrote us an email this week that was like, Obviously, you guys need to brush up on your new wave of British heavy metal. And I'm like, dude, I'm 34 years old. I've checked it out. I don't like it. There's a lot of stuff I do like. Uh, I mean, listen, it, I, like to me, the, in the new wave of British heavy metal, like Iron Maiden is king. So, oh, of course, Iron Maiden, but they're they're beyond that. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. He, he meant he meant us talking about not really knowing Killing Joke or Holocaust or, you know, like. I don't. Ha- I don't own Diamond Head records. Sorry, I own. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think Diamond Head is, is is awesome. I think they've got a lot of great songs. Like clearly awesome enough to, for Metallica to cover. But what I've listened to of Killing Joke and stuff, like there's cool stuff, but it's just not my cup of tea, man. Yeah, you're, dude. Let's just face it. We're not really fans of it. I'm not. I, I think it's great. I think it's fine. But I'm not buying the records. I do like me some Judas Priest. Well, I like Judas Priest too. I don't own any of their records. Screaming for Vengeance is a really good one. All right, make me make me make me a, a mixtape. I'll make you a mix. It's going to include all the songs from Screaming for Vengeance <laughs> <laughs> in, in in sequence. No, it'll be out of order for sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, uh, where were we here? We were talking about Mustaine. Well, we? we're kind of wrapping up this the Mustaine thing. So he he said it's the final betrayal. Obviously, they went on to hang out later, and they were there's like that video of them, the big four footage, and they're hugging and shit. And there is yeah, footage sure. of them hugging. Yeah, oh yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of hugging happening. But it it did get kind of ugly though after that cuz you know Lars had that quote where he said something like, "Put these facts down. He was in our band for a year. He never played on a Metallica record, and it was 22 years ago. It's pretty absurd that it can still be that big of a deal." And I he's think that right. was bef- I think that was before the Big Fourth shows happened. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. So it's yeah. after the documentary but before he is right. the Big Fourth thing. Yeah, he's right. He even says it in the documentary. And we're getting ahead of ourselves, but he he, he essentially are. says that in the documentary. Yeah. Um, you know what? The, just speaking of the big four, which we're going to do a whole episode on that show, the the Bulgaria show, but yeah, it is kind of ironic that it does like totally downpour on Megadeth's set. <laughs> I have watched all the all the footage from the, from those shows, and multiple shows they did, and I mean, I got to say, I mean, Megadeth is definitely the most technically talented band on that stage, and I'm I'm, I'm a Megadeth fan, and uh, but yeah, Rain or Shine, man, they they still killed it. But you know, like you can just see Dave kind of, kind of like, taking it personally. You know, everyone else, like, everyone else got sunshine. Well, even God hates me. Hello, God. <laughs> like, come on, Dave. Um, you know what, though? Speaking of old Dave Mustaine, should we take a trip to the poetry corner? You know what? I've always heard that Papa is a big Megadeth fan, especially the Countdown to Extinction record. Isn't that oh. right? Well, let's go check out the poetry corner and see what's up. Okay. Here is. Poetry with Pawpaw. Poetry with Pawpaw. 
back to the Poetry Corner. We're plum tickled to have you. Today I'm going to be reading Sweating Bullets by David Mustaine. Hello me, meet the real me, and my misfits way of life. A dark black past is my most valued possession. Well hindsight's always 50-50, but uh, looking back it's still a bit fuzzy. Speak of mutually assured destruction, nice story. Tell it to the Reader's Digest. Feeling paranoid, true enemy or false friend? Anxiety's attacking me and my air's getting thin. My hair's getting thin too. I'm in trouble for the things I haven't got to yet. I'm chomping it to bit and my palms are getting wet. Sweating bullets. Hello me, it's me again, Paw. You can subdue, but never taunt me. It gives me a migraine headache. Sinking down to your level, yeah, just keep on thinking it's my fault. And stay an inch or two out of kicking distance, mankind has got to know his limitations. Feeling claustrophobic like the walls are closing in. Bloodstains on my hands and I don't know where I've been. I'm in trouble for the things I ain't got to yet. I'm sharpening the axe and my palms are getting wet, sweating bullets. Well, me, it's nice talking to myself, a credit to dementia. Someday you too will know my pain and smile its black-toothed grin. If the war inside my head won't take a day off, I'll be dead. My icy fingers claw your back, here I come again. Feeling paranoid, true enemy, or false friend. Anxiety's attacking me and my air is getting thin. Feeling claustrophobic like the walls are closing in. Bloodstains on my hands and uh, I don't know where it is that I've been. Once you committed me, now you've acquitted me. Claiming validity for your stupidity. I'm chomping it a bit. I'm sharpening the axe. Here I come again. Whoa, Nelly. Sweating bullets. Thanks for coming back to the Poetry Corner. We'll see you next time. Here. Oh my God! Sweating bullets. Wow! Sweating bullets of all songs. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe he listens to the show and knows that you do uh, your, your Dave impression and thought maybe uh, you would enjoy that uh, more than another song. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm tickled to death, as he says, and uh, man, just really touched by that. I couldn't tell. You know, at first I was like, "Is this Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven?" Oh no, wait, this is Sweating Bullets <laughs> by Sir David Mustaine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we ready to sort of walk through this film a little bit? Uh, yeah, definitely. So, if you will, take a t- take an audio journey with us through the film, Some Kind of Monster. Maybe you watched it recently, maybe you're going to watch it tonight with the old family, with a big old bowl of popcorn. Mmm, popcorn. Mmm, with a big old bowl of popcorn. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we invite you to go on the journey with us. We're going to sort of insert some clips here, so... We can sort of contextualize some of where we're at, but yeah, I did make this note. It's interesting. So the film kind of starts out with the sort of title cards that sort of catch you up on shit, right? And it's it struck me that it seems like they were definitely aware that people who weren't Metallica fans were going to watch this, but, yeah. Because the title cards say, you know, the heavy metal band Metallica has sold over ninety million albums since nineteen eighty one. 
They were the top North American draw throughout the 90s. Like, it's immediately sort of like, okay, we want this to be for more than just diehards. Yeah, I think so. I think in addition to that, uh, they probably, I would guess, they, they when they edited this thing, they, they probably thought of that intro afterwards. And I think in a way it also just really drills, drills it in deep that they're at their lowest point. So you're getting a good contrast of the two heights of them right. as people in a band. Right. Well, it's like it's like the biggest band you can imagine at a at a super low point. Yes. It sort of does kind of immediately create drama. Oh yeah, I mean, having watched this thing probably I don't know 15 or 20 times since it's come out, you know, I still look at that and go, "Wow. That's crazy." You know. Yeah, like yeah, it just sort of gets you kind of gets you ready for it. Oh yeah. And of and of course, so it starts with um it says in the spring of 2003, journalists were invited to preview Metallica's first album in five years. And so you're kind of seeing all these journalists file in. And it's it's so... It's, it's so, uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable because you know what's coming and you know it's not good. <laughs> well, Although and, and, it is Frantic, and Frantic's pretty good, but they play Frantic yeah. in the control room. They just play it over the speakers. But it's like just knowing about St. Anger, it, it, it's like... It's like knowing the monsters in the closet, you know? Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, like the look on people's faces, there's one guy that's kind of bobbing his head. Like he looks like he's trying a little too hard Ooh, to like, okay, this, but he, you know, he, he, on the outside, he's like, mm, okay, okay. On the inside, he's like, what is this? This is not my Metallica. Oh, yeah, man. It's yeah. I'm sure that like, cause I mean, those journalists, I mean, I'd imagine most of them were fans, you know, I don't think they would let in people that were just like, yeah, my bosses make me do this bullshit thing on your band, you know? So they're probably walking in there going, oh my God, we're, we're about to hear the new Metallica record. The first thing they've put out, like since well, Load, Reload, and Garage yeah. Inc. And- well, think about this. Why, you know, think about mine and yours first reaction to it, right? You threw it yes. out the window. I took it out kind of embarrassed and mortified. You know, why would the, their reaction was probably pretty similar. Like, Horror, but they, I'll probably disgust. also keep their cool a little bit too. Like they're sitting there in front of people, you well, know. Like, and I would, I would have too if I'd have been in their studio. I probably would have even been like, "This is awesome, dude! You guys are fucking great, Grammy award winning, Saint Anger. This is your, this is your, yeah, this is your best record ever. This is better than <laughs> this is better than Reload. This is better than Unload. Unload sucks. Unload sucks. Uh, uh by the way, Lars, Unload sucks. <laughs> You haven't uh, made that record yet, but it sucks. And you know the editing's cool. It's there's kind of more title cards. It talks about their, you know, ensuing lawsuit with Napster resulting in a yeah. fan backlash, and then this sort of montage of press interviews, and it talks about many people in the rock press questioning Metallica's future. And I did want to insert this clip, but where Jan- the, they do the James's one word to span our career, and he right. kind of he kind of just trails off, you know. Eighty-five million records, twenty-two years. I think it's 11 albums and various official releases. One word. <laughs> oh, my God. One word to span our career. Uh... Yeah, he's he, he can't. And they go into a great montage after that, but he can't really, like, figure it out. Like, uh... The montage, I th- I think, which that I, would be hard to do even if things were in a good spot. Of course, yeah. I think I mean I think these dudes did a really good job at setting up the beginning of this documentary to show you not only you know yeah they sold over 90 million albums and and they're this giant band but they're also kind of giving you a preview of all this like pressure that was on top of them like with the Napster thing um going into this new album that like they you know people aren't digging and stuff so it was a good setup for to go back in time at the beginning of the, the filming of this documentary 
Yeah, and they and they're kind of jumping around too. So you, it, it is a cool kind of subtle filmmaking where you you're kind of disjointed a little bit. You're kind of uneasy already. Mm-hmm. I do like that montage they play after that, where they kind of just span together a bunch of footage of seek and destroy. Oh, that's great! I love it. It's just so, as a huge fan of the band, it's just really fun to see that. Oh, of course, yeah. And then I will say, man, I, I love the fist, like the St. Anger fist, but the title screen comes on and it's that bound angel. Yeah, I dig oh, it. I love it's that. It's really cool. I love yeah, the that The artwork's image. great. God, it's so good. Oh, yeah. So and then they, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, uh, to, to, you know, drive in more of all the shit they're dealing with, the next thing you see is like MTV News talking about Jason quitting the band. After 14 years of headbanging, Metallica bassist Jason Newstead has quit the band, citing, quote, private and personal reasons and the physical damage that I've done to myself over the years while playing the music I love. Metallica's management had no comment when asked by MTV News if there's a replacement waiting in the wings, but the band is still scheduled to begin recording a new album this spring. So this is them taking this, like, right to the beginning. So the titles, we've been sort of introduced. Now we're going to January 2001, and it's Jason leaving. Mm-hmm. And he's decided to leave, and then they're meeting at the Ritz-Carlton, and we see old Phil Tao for the oh, first time. Here he is, old Phil. And I guess he was hired because he had worked with Rage Against the Machine, which was another Q-Prime band. Uh, but But... It's notable that he didn't succeed in keeping them together. Uh, yeah, way to go, Phil. Fucking you know bright what? ass yellow sweater, you know Phil. I'll bet. I'll bet he never told Rage Against the, Rage Against the Machine to zone it. <laughs> zone it. <laughs> <laughs> zone it. Using zone as a verb. I know. Oh man, you get you get into a bind. You find yourself in a pickle. Zone it. Let me tell you something, brothers. Zone it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're driving and it's raining and you get get your car stuck in a little bit of mud? Zone it. Zone it, bro. <laughs> Zone <the> it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh god. So All Phil right. and his his beautiful sweaters show up. Oh god. And they immediately just dive into therapy sessions and stuff. And now let me let me say something about uh not necessarily Phil, but I think it's in as we've talked about it, it's obviously overall I think Phil did help them a lot like James calls him an angel this and that but I mean as much you're my, as you're my angel in a yellow sweater you're my baby, yellow sweater angel baby, you're my angel <laughs> yellow um, sweater tonight <laughs> you say yellow sweater tonight yeah <laughs> Hey, that's that's lyric gold right there, man. That sweater is so yellow, and it's so big on him. He's you such should, a tiny man. You should write that lyric on a post-it note. And hang on to okay, it. Okay, hold on, doing it. Hold on, doing it right okay. now. Yellow, you're in my yellow sweater tonight. Okay, got it. Perfect. Awesome. Um, yeah, but I, I think just you know getting right into it. I remember when I first watched this uh, the very first time. I was you know you're kind of like let down, like oh fuck, Metallica is in therapy. You're right. It's kind of like when 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 you when you get to the scene of Jason talking about like how lame it is. Yeah, it's like we've gone through all this, the the biggest metal band ever, and we can't deal with this. You know what's interesting about that is that when I was younger, you know, when this movie came out, yeah. I resonated more with Jason's point. Like I resonated with it. But you know, now that I'm a bit older and kind of seen a little bit more life, it, it's not aging well with me that sentiment of like right oh we're we're it's just a little macho for me it's like dude i don't care how big you, a band you are or how heavy creeping death is it doesn't mean that you guys don't 
need help. Like, right. it doesn't yeah. mean you can't ask for help from people. Well, and you know, and maybe, you know, maybe at the time, you know, Jason not having kids, like he had more time if, if it was possible to sit down and deal with this stuff where these dudes aren't just like glued to Metallica and that's it. They've got families, they've got kids, they've got other right. business ventures, this and that. So maybe for Jason, it was kind of like, what? I can take care of this. Why can't you guys? Yeah. And he, you know, I, I have, I share his frustration when I, as a fan, when I think about why couldn't him and James just talk like, right. you know, James says, I, my only way to love things is choke him to death. And Jason's saying yeah. echo brain wasn't going to take away from Metallica. I love Metallica. It does seem, but when you really put it that simply and realize that they couldn't even really do that, it's like, yeah, dude, they needed some fucking help. Yeah. And you know, and so, and sometimes there's no shame in that. Like you, you have to reach out and ask for help. I mean, there's, there's no denying sometimes it's like, especially with, you know, you know, and we know James going to rehab. It's like anybody that's dealt with any addiction at a certain point, like, you know, you can't do it by yourself. And these guys couldn't do it by themselves. They needed good old yellow oversized sweater wearing Phil to join the club. Well, you know, I may be biased here, but whatever, but I've been in and out of therapy for 14 years. So I'm, yeah. I'm a huge fan of it and I, I think it's saved my life and most of my friends are in sort of active therapy. So yeah, that's awesome. Just as I get older, I just resonate more with it. Phil in this Ritz Carlton scene, Phil does say something that I think is super spot on. So I try to give Phil some love because I, I generally <laughs> don't feel very good about Phil, to be honest with you. Right. But he said, uh, they're talking about like, should we have the cameras in here while we're trying to do therapy? And is that good? And Phil says, I don't think the question is whether or not the cameras are going to be in play, but whether or not you're free enough to risk being seen by other people. Right. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I was watching it last night and I was like, you know what, man, that's, he kind of nailed that. That's a good point. Yellow sweater aside, that's a good point, Phil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his decision to wear that sweater, abysmal. One, I mean, he should, one should question whether or not he should be a free man in society, but that was a pretty <laughs> insightful comment. I thought um, the, I thought the yellow kind of matched, um, the, you know, part of the color scheme of the reload album. So I figured I'd be cool with you guys. The yellow really brings out the urine and, in, in the reload cover. <laughs> exactly. Uh, then we get footage of the gear being loaded into the Presidio, which is pretty interesting to me that they wanted to go do that. It, it looks pretty shitty. It, it's, well, it's like an old like military base in, in San, the San Francisco area, in the Presidio area of San Francisco. I mean, I, I get when Bob Rock's talking about like, you know, let's get out of a conventional studio, let's try something new. I totally get that. I think it's really cool that they wanted to experiment and, you know, go into this new place that, you know, that was out of their comfort zone, you know, as if they weren't uncomfortable enough. I was about to say like any other record. Great. Let's, let's, let's rattle some bones. But uh, I I think them being in a more comfortable setting might've been better for them. I wonder though, if, if, if at the time they, they loaded into Presidio, if, if HQ wasn't really fully done and set up as a studio, because I I don't think it was because I I don't think they did really got to work on that until he went to rehab. Right, exactly. And at one point, Kirk he talks about, you know, we're going to now what's known as HQ. Like, they maybe recently acquired that building. Well, they do. Like, their first their first day of working at HQ is somewhere in this documentary. I think it's when they're doing the unnamed feeling. Yeah. And it's at post-rehab. Um, so, let's see. Uh, James kind of is doing being interviewed, and he's talking about how this is one of the... This is St. Anger. It's the first time they all came in with no riffs, no titles, no ideas, and they're all talking about that being tied to ego. It's all kind yeah. of like pre, you know, kind of therapy talk. But it is crazy though to think like before this this load in day happened, 
at a certain they, point, they didn't have any material. Well, at, at a certain point, like what months, years before this, they decide on the next record, let's not do our normal formula. Well, I wonder when they decided to do it because that's what I, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Because like, they toured. I mean, I, my first time seeing them was in 2000, Summer Sanitarium tour, right? And maybe they were just otherwise taking a break from writing. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, that they had done. I disappear and no yeah. clover and minus human. Yeah, but other that, than that, there was no real new material. I mean, I think right off the bat, you can see James is very uncomfortable with this new way of approaching songs. You know, at this point, he's spent you know twenty years in with one method of writing songs. Like I write the riffs, I write the lyrics. Me and Lars get together, we arrange the songs, and then we give it to the other guys, and then we go from there. Yeah, it is interesting. It, you know what I find really interesting is in this first scene, like sort of it's quote unquote day one of them at the Presidio and James is right. already playing a downtuned guitar in C sharp. Like it was maybe a bit premeditated. That Yeah. They, well, I know they already started like detuning live for certain things, but not that low. No, know? no. Uh, this, this is like kind of the new metal system of a down corn type tuning. So they definitely decide. Maybe they decided uh, beforehand. I, we're we're going to adapt to this era of music right now. Yeah, and I, and I think, I think this is a black area. You know, like if you're looking at the canvas, this is a black area where we don't. They've never really talked about conscious decisions to sound that way, and I, right. I think they haven't talked about it on purpose. Smart, smart move. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think so too. Then this is where we got James on his hot rod, and he's or whatever that thing is he's on. He's talking about. How weird it is being a famous guy, and that's him, him trying to be unfamous, right? Yeah, I like yeah, I like I like that scene because he's kind of you can tell he's kind of conflicted because it's like you know he's kind of talking about how noticeable this car is that he's driving and stuff like that. You know, he even looks over into the car and like waves to him. Yeah, this is me trying not to be famous, driving this crazy car with cameras filming me, driving on the this loud ass hot rod, this beatnik. That you know is louder than any car on the road. I'm trying it's to be unfamous. Yeah, it's basically screaming, "Look at me! Pay me attention!" <laughs> it totally is. Uh, what's weird is when they're playing this kind of first chuggy chuggy riff. It really is kind of indicative that they did not have much material because James is actually singing the lyrics to Fuel. I know it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I got some bad news. I'm gonna have to uh, change the lyrics. <laughs> give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. And Lars is like, uh, bad news. <laughs> and James says, oh, we're gonna have to change the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I feel like that's a, that's one of the first glimpses of him f- maybe being a little disinterested. He's he's not far off from going to rehab at this point, and, and it's he's just day like, one. It's day one, and he's already just kind of like checked out. Yeah, he does seem kind of spaced out and checked out. Oh yeah. I love when it cuts to, I think it's ridiculous, but I do love it. When it cuts to this clip of Lars uh, laying on his couch. Yeah. Like, and like, you know, he's going through this kind of thing of like, you know, like when this art, art piece, when is it done? When is a song really done? All this kind of annoying shit. I'm just like, dude, I think he's trying to justify like the crap that they're making at Presidio. I think it's partly that, you know, Lars is so fascinating to me because I, he's just partly full of shit and he's partly really kind of oddly sincere, you know, like 
he's talking about art as his escape, and he, part of me like rolls my eyes. Part of me is like, I think it's just it's just him being himself, you know? Yeah, but of it is it kind, is. Of, but it is kind of cringy. Mm-hmm. It is cringy, it, and then you and then you hear like, Daddy. And, yeah, and he's like, Yeah, sweetie. I think that's a nice moment. Yeah, I, you kind of see. I, you kind of see the family man Lars in his own personal home trying to yeah. make sense of the art he's making that he's confused about and the art hanging on his wall that he's also confused about. Cause remember he's <laughs> saying, he's saying like, yeah, why aren't there more lines up here? And right. Yeah. Like yeah. even later at his art show or when he's selling his art, he's like, I've never even been this close to this one. You know, know. it's like those were he, in your fucking house. He seems to have a sort of confusion about that too. It's yeah. a lostness dude. I'm telling you lostness is permeates this shit. Yeah, in, in well, every and, and, member. Well, and I think also too, it, it is a very common uh, thing as an artist of any kind to maybe look back on anything you've worked on and say, "Well, did I finish that? Is it done?" Even though I put it out, you know, or could I have done things differently or things like that? Maybe it's just that kind of constant questioning of like, could it have been better? Right. <clears throat> But and, these are the and, guys who made Creeping Death and Blackened. Like these dudes have come as close to perfection as you can get. Right. So well, they were, weird to they see, were also making St. Anger. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's just so weird to see them. Like, watching this film, it's as if they've never created anything before it, before that record. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, I mean... You have to remind yourself, like, these are the dudes who wrote and played Injustice for All. I know. It and just Battery doesn't, and it Orion. Doesn't add, and, it doesn't add up. It's like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, at, at this point early in the in the movie, Bob Rock is talking about, you know, like in that vibe of getting back in the garage and just four guys in a room and this and that. And it sounds like that. It sounds like four guys that haven't made a record yet. Well, and through so through some of that jamming at this point in the film, the some kind of monster riff kind of emerges. And it's, yeah. it's, it's James kind of sitting there saying, there's a lot of these cool moments I like a lot. I know I know our friend Paul Milk appreciates this too, but they're listening to some of their... Maybe they jammed for a few hours, and James is like, I don't hear anything special in this, and Kirk agrees. Yeah. And But then Bob... Bob kind of like hones in on the... Bum, 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 and you can see James kind of get a little excited. Yeah, it, gets, it, it lights up a little bit. And James is like, oh yeah, that is pretty cool, you know? And, yeah. Um, I think what Bob did is kind of, he kind of momentarily snapped him out of like the funk he was in for the day. You know, he was already kind of down low, like, oh, this sucks. I'm not into it. I'm not hearing right. anything. And Bob kind of like snapped him out of it just for a moment where he heard it and go, oh, okay. Well, which is, that is a one of, cool. and it's one of the many sort of, you know, unsung heroic parts of the job of a producer is to yeah. be a therapist, sort of manage people's feelings and get people feeling excited about what they're creating. Hey, no need for you, Phil. We have Bob Rock. Yeah, let Bob Rock wear that goddamn yellow yellow sweater. You think it was Phil's idea to turn the snares off on the snare drum? That was probably what he wrote on that little slip of paper that he gave James. Yeah, turn it. Hey, let's make the snares sound terrible for this one. What, I don't know what that drum is called because I'm not a musician, but the one that, that normally goes, Kah. can you make it sound like king? Oh, and by the way, that'll be $40,000. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, invoices in the mail. <laughs> but in between there, so there's these two clips of them finally starting to get excited about some kind of monster. And I, um, I actually wanted to insert this clip of Bob talking about the rules they used to have. You guys had some rules about that before. I frankly, I don't give a fuck. I'm tired of arguing. You couldn't talk about his lyrics. Therefore 
he couldn't talk about your drumming. Right. Do you know what I mean? And you and him did the solos, so you weren't allowed to comment on the solos. Do you, do you know what I mean? There was oh, like rules. Are you telling me that, that those boundaries are gone now? It's a really interesting scene because Bob sort of like puts his hand in his, his, his face in his hands and James is like, is this bringing up memories for you? And Bob's like, you know, if you guys are going to be open and like writing, all of you writing lyrics together, he's like, you guys just used to have a lot of rules. Like, only Kirk and Lars could talk yeah. about the solos. Only James and Jason and Bob could talk about the bass. Right, and exactly. No one was allowed to write lyrics but James. No one was allowed to talk about drums but Lars. And you can just I mean, sort and this of... Is, this is four, like, uh, three studio records and a cover record. That, uh, over the course of 10 years, Bob's been working with them. That's going to say, so you the, can see the journey of that. Yeah, so him, to him, he's like, what the fuck? I've been... These have been your rules forever, and now you're just going to get rid of them? But he, but like a great producer, he's he's kind of like putting the brakes on for a second, saying really. But then when it's like when that's the the decision of the team, he moves forward. And in right, the next yeah. in the next scene, they're all kind of trying to figure out a vocal hook for some kind of monster. And it's really Bob that hones in on the these are the eyes of thump thump thump. Yeah, and it's yeah, Bob he, that it's Bob saying, "What is this song to you? What is this?" And it's and he he pulls it out of James, you know, like yeah, totally. And they talk. They talk about like building a Frankenstein. He says, "This is the top of my head that's flat." <laughs> yeah, totally. These are the bolts in my neck. That that was to me. That was a really cool moment, and it almost made me wish for something different because that is what he pulled out at Hetfield to kind of get him some focus on the lyric writing and the and the rhythm he was singing and all that stuff and the melody. And I feel like that if if nobody else was writing lyrics and it was just Bob and James in there, I, know. Like, I feel like it could have even been better. Like that's probably what he did on the black album. It's what he did on Load and Reload. You know, he like those two worked together. James just with the lyrics. James came with the melodies, and it was them, them two. Bob pulling stuff out of him, getting stuff maybe out of him that he didn't know was in there. You know, and and that's a glimpse of that right here. Yeah, and it's you can just see. You know, it's it's really clear in not only this documentary, but also in in any kind of Metallica footage that we've seen. Like James is the engine of that band. He's the oh, yeah. sort of spiritual, emotional engine. So seeing him kind of start to light up at at this part of the film is really exciting to see. It's like kind of the first, it's like the first time you feel good watching the movie. Yeah, yeah, for is sure. Seeing, is when you see that James is starting to feel good. Because he sort of sets the emotional tone. Like, Don't you think? Like He's, he, he sets it from the, from the get-go. I mean, right. he, he comes in just like, you know, head down, shoulders you know, forward, just not in, not in a good spot, you know? And I will say, and having been in a lot of bands, just like you have, and sometimes I've maybe been more of that energy, but a lot of times, you know, I'm not a frontman type and it's a, it makes me feel more for the other guys because that is a lot. Like when you're sort of at the mercy of another person's emotional life. Yeah, for sure. That can be a lot to deal with in a band. So it kind of gives me empathy for the other dudes too. Even Lars, you know? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I love that he also, I mean, essentially he pulls out the title of the song from James. Yeah, it's it great. Just, it's, it's very skillful producing and I love yes. that they captured that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is, is, you know, after this record was done and all that stuff, you know, I remember the band kind of talking about like, you know, like our time with Bob was kind of done. Like maybe like, he, you know, we overstayed our welcome with him kind of thing. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know, man. I think, I think Bob had an equal hand in saving this band that Phil did. 100% agree. You know, I don't think that it would have been a mistake to maybe do Death Magnetic with Bob Rock. 
I don't think Bob's time with Metallica is done. I mean, I, I think that I hope may, not. I think he may make a record with them again in the future. Maybe a Greg Fiddleman Bob Rock co-production. Yeah, maybe Greg can get. Can, you know, I don't know if what kind of politics are in that world as much. Maybe Paul can talk about this when we do our Greg episode in a few weeks. But now that he's produced like Metallica's rec- hardware and Substruck, I don't know if he's going to go back to just engineering. I doubt. No, I meant like just co-producing, or maybe oh, they do. Co-produce it, yeah, yeah. Do like half the, or, or even do half the record with Bob, or half with Greg, or maybe that the continuity wouldn't be great. But I, I would love to see Bob Rock back in the studio with these guys. Yeah, I would too. Like, let's just make that the official position of Metal Up Your Podcast. Um, and maybe if you want, if you want to get out of your comfort zone again, let's go to fucking Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> you know that song? Let's go to fucking Hawaii. <laughs> Right before they take a two-week break, I thought this was an interesting scene. They're coming right out of a jam, and Lars and Kirk are both pretty excited. Like, Lars is like, how fucking awesome is it that we can just go in there and bang that out? And Kirk agrees, and James is looking real not happy about it. And Lars says, you don't seem very psyched about what's going on. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying a second ago. Just like, they're excited, he's bummed, and him being bummed takes away from their excitement, you know? Of course it does. I mean, as guys that have been in bands and play with a lot of different artists, I mean, th- there can be one person in the in the group that is the Debbie Downer, and it makes you guys lose excitement for what you just worked on and what well, you were just excited about. Well, but the fact that about. it's James, though. Like, I, I bet if James and Lars were stoked about something, but Robert isn't, I bet they don't give a shit, <laughs> you know? They're like, uh, they're hey, like, man. Uh, we're, we're doing this anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, just, just, just so you know. <laughs> we gave you a million dollars like 20 years ago. Shut up. so they go on a two-week vacation they come back everyone's all hugging and this is when james talks about how he killed two bears and uh he says he drank he says he drank vodka and worked on lyrics yeah i found this part to be pretty sad i it's really sad it's 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 james kind of admitting that he shouldn't have done that he shouldn't have gone on that trip he missed his son's fucking birthday I'm just, I don't know, sometimes I'm a real ass about it and just come in and saying, you know, oh, by the way, I'm going to Russia for two weeks right here, you know, and what, you know, right. yeah, I'm getting better at that, you know, because that was the most I, I missed my family ever, you know, right. and it was, you know, Caster's first birthday I missed, right. and it was, well, of course, we had a little vodka to Caster, you know, oh, did a little sure, shot yeah. for him and everything, but I... I would have loved to have been able to get a hold of home. We see him then tracking the song Temptation, which I know we have listeners who really like that song. Man, I, it's pretty rough for me. It's pretty yeah, rough. I, I'm not into that one. I think I gave it a one or two on our San Diego episode. And what I thought was an interesting um, content move on the documentary is he keeps, he, they're, they're, they're playing the unfortunately horrific chorus where he's saying, oh, I can't say no, I can't say no. And they show this montage of not only James drinking, but like naked chicks. And I think, con- it, it, I think it's just like the, the producers are hammering in that excessive lifestyle kind of thing that Hetfield, you know, 
was known for, a whole band was known for really, but you know, that thing that like he's always done, it's like that crazy lifestyle of booze and chicks and like on the road and all that right. stuff. And but they're not, but they're not showing like cocaine and shit. They're just showing booze and chicks. And so it makes me just wonder if that's, you know, James famously in rehab for alcohol, alcohol and other addictions, you know, it's like, right. Yeah. And he actually even says later, he talks about how like, you know, I'm waking up in a bed with a different person. I don't even know. And yeah, it's just interesting that they were sort of that trans. I mean, that's where sort of the bravery of this documentary really comes to light because him mm-hmm. being that honest about that, like, you know, his family is going to see that shit and, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I love the vulnerability of this, of, of this do documentary, too. especially, especially the world of Hetfield in this thing. I mean, I, I've told you this before. I've probably even mentioned on the show after watching this literally every time I have more and more respect for James Hetfield. I yeah. mean, this guy, this guy, you know, not only like put the biggest man in the world on hold, but he also like stood up to his best friend like he never had before. And, you know, he, he took some control back that he felt he lost. Well, there's that. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I've been really inspired by it and, 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 and it's, it's helped me on the road. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about this on our pirate satellite interview, but I've struggled with those things. Maybe, maybe not in quite that extravagant a way, but I remember watching that. I watched that documentary for the first time while I was on a, on a tour, like on a grueling eight week van club tour. Yeah. I remember we were kind of poking fun at it and laughing at it, and it was sort of horrific to see my favorite band that vulnerable. But I remember taking immediately taking away from it, like even on the rest of that tour, feeling yeah. differently about sort of how I was conducting myself on that tour. Yeah, totally, man. No, no I, I'm with you. I, I was actually thinking about that before we started recording this episode. Like, you know, like James makes a really good point. He's talking about you know, you know, the days of drinking as opposed to the days days of sobriety. Where he's like, you know, with drinking and getting messed up and waking up to some random person every day, he's like, he's like, the result is always the same. He's like, right. you know, now now that I don't have that, he's like, I'm surprised by life. I'm 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 things are you know, things are are going well every day. I think new things are happening. Like it's the same result every time I would do this right. shit. And yeah, and we've jumped ahead a little bit, but that's one of my favorite moments on the whole documentary is when he says, Yeah, me too. He says, you know, being sober means. I'm clear and I'm present and it's exciting because I have no idea what's going to happen and I'm present for it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, yeah, like I said, dude, it, it just makes me respect that person yeah. even more than I already, already ever did. Yeah, me too. So a little bit before that, we kind of go back to Jason and, and this is what, I mean, this is, you know, you and I being really big Jason fans as well as Rob fans. Everyone knows that. We don't of have course, to do yeah. too many disclaimers now, but we, we we get introduced to Echo Brain and they don't sound great. <laughs> like it's, it I'm definitely not, doesn't. I, I remember checking it out a long time ago and I was not into it. It's just but like not, the little n- bit not that my style music. But you think that the little bit that they do put in the film would be like the best of it, and it's like it's just this weird kind of college rock. Here's what I think, and this is just a theory. I wonder if because at no point do you see them playing live and there's vocals. It's just like instrumental stuff. I right. wonder if it was a music licensing thing where, I mean, they're at a weird spot with Jason. If it was like, hey, if you use our music in this film, you have to pay us. If I wonder if they got away with just using short clips of instrumental parts yeah. where they didn't actually have... I, don't, I, I could be totally wrong. It's just, it was just interesting. Like, why would you not play a great chorus from one of their songs or something? I know. Like, why not just really 
let us know how scary it was for James by yeah. playing playing us their barn burner. It uh, is so weird to see see uh, see the footage of them playing live, and it's like kind of college rocky. And then you see Newstead back on the drum riser, like he's still in Metallica, <laughs> yeah, like head banging and stuff. I know, dude. It's so weird. Well, how do you go? You know, how do you go from from Moscow? You know, and yeah. all the, from those types of shows to I don't know to clubs again and. But he talks about how it's, he makes a point to say it's one of the projects he'd been working on for years. And so he said, he says, he describes it as finally coming to fruition. Right, yeah. And well, he probably had to be very careful about working on it before because I'm, I'm assuming he knew a bit of James's feelings about side projects and stuff. Right. And, and so he probably had to kind of do it like, you know, a little under the radar. So it took him maybe longer. Right, and we t- and we kind of covered this extensively on our Jason Newstead episode. If you're if you're just now listening and you haven't checked those out, <clears throat> go back and check the Jason Newstead episode out. But um, the, it cuts again to James saying, talking about how Jason needed to get his creativity out, and he didn't understand it at the time. He didn't want anyone to leave, and the sort yeah. of famous, the only way I learned how to love things was to choke him to death, and. It's all very sad and frustrating to see. It is. It is sad. The, the one thing that really kind of like almost chokes me up a little bit is when he says, um, "He's like, I didn't, I didn't want Jason to love that more than Metallica." On my side of that was, I didn't want him to enjoy that more than Metallica. I didn't want anyone to leave Metallica. I didn't want to feel that we weren't enough or something like that. <sighs> And it was through my, I guess, the way I learned how to love things was just to choke them to death. (laughs) You know, don't go anywhere. Don't leave. You know, you have to stay here. All right, so we're at day 39. It's interesting now kind of knowing St. Anger, the record, a little more than I used to because we obviously had to pour through it for the episode. But they're working on the My World lyrics. And... James is talking kind of extensively with Phil about he's feeling guilty about not being inspired, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and Phil's kind of ch- chasing that. Like, well, what's the fear? What are you afraid of letting people down? And, and I made a note because it made me wonder, like, you know, maybe he's not inspired because the song's not great. Maybe the song sucks. Like, and My World was one of my, it's, it's one of my <clears throat> standout tracks. And by standout tracks, I mean, I think I gave it like a four out of 10. But <laughs> yeah, I think that might have been the problem too, you know? I'm sure it was that. It was just the whole situation. I mean, how do you get inspired when there's a guy in a in a Cosby sweater trying to like pull emotions <laughs> out of you and writing lyrics for you, and your band is writing lyrics for you, and you're just like in the middle of all this, you know? Is, uh, no shit, you weren't inspired. Well, and they're doing like in between work weeks, they're doing whole weeks of just therapy. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's it's just man, it's such an intense time. There is kind of a funny moment though later that. Where James is trying to, Kirk is like rocking out and James is trying to get a hold of Kirk. He's like, Kirk, yeah, Kirk, 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 yes, Kirk, James is trying to talk to you. Sorry, man. And this is where shit starts to really crank up. Kirk Kirk shows him one of his riffs, which this is a bummer because, you know, it probably takes a lot for Kirk to be like, hey guys, I got a riff. Remember, I'm the guy who wrote Inner Sin, man. So anyway, here's this riff. So anyway. So, so Kirk goes, check out this riff, but it's when Lars is deciding to try to play like super weird drums. 
Oh, man. I mean... It, so Kurt's yeah. riff is just fucking dead in the water because Lars is trying oh, yeah. to be like avant-garde drummer. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I know this is where he, yeah, he's trying to like... They get in that argument, you know, James is in a shit mood and, and they get in the argument about like, James is like, why don't you play it, you know... Uh, uh, what does he say? Because he, he knows Lars hates the word regular. He's like, why don't you play it more straightforward or something? But James even says like, hey, I'm trying not to say stock or whatever because I know it bugs you. Right, yeah. Every time I watch this scene, I feel like James is trying to be cool. Uh, I, I feel like there's multiple scenes where Lars blows up on him and James is trying to be cool. And this is still pre-rehab too yeah, yeah. This is so silly you're just sitting there going i'm in a really pissy mood and and i fucking told you straight up that i was right and what are you trying to do i'm not trying to do fucking shit you're just sitting here being a complete dick you're you're really helping matters you're really good at that i was straight up with you and i told you i'm in a shit mood and what have you been doing fucking picking at me all night Come on, guys. We got better things to do. Right? Yeah, I do. I, I do. So it's pretty pretty obvious that the vibe. This is probably one of the most, like, one of the biggest conflicts of the film. Oh yeah, the vibe gets real real weird. Well, I feel like this is this is where like the shit starts to get real between the two of them and their long relationship and like the the bent up frustration and anger that they probably hold towards each other and resentment and you know that can that battle of control and stuff right well yeah and then james just, well then james slams the door that doesn't slam because he slams it and it's, <laughs> it's kind of opens and <laughs> man, he slammed it that hard man those those overalls <laughs> give him sheer power oh dude those overalls are like fucking <laughs> like a talisman for strength Puts well, on his overalls I mean, and he can move mountains. It, that's true, man. He, I mean, he was it's in like his Thor's hammer, rock, like like hot rod rockabilly phase at this point in the, in the band's history. Yeah, sl- slick hair. He's getting some new tattoos. He's in his hot rod. He's got his overalls on. Slamming doors that won't slam. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually the whole reason he did go to rehab is because he slammed that door and he's like, door didn't slam right. Dang, I gotta seek help for this. Well, so he slams the door, and then we get the MTV News, you know, segment that James has entered rehab for alcoholism and other addictions. Yeah, I remember totally. seeing this. I remember seeing this and being surprised. Oh yeah, me too. Because I mean, it's something. This is all. This is all pre iPhones. I mean, I had a flip phone. You weren't all, looking. All, yeah, all I had was goddamn terrible MTV News. Exactly, I and mean, it was, and, and that was still a point in MTV where it was like you know. A lot of reality shows, but like there was still these big news segments on artists that you like. And I remember thinking, like, what? Like, I knew that he drank and blah blah blah, but no, not in my Headfield. My Jimmy James Senior Junior. Oh, Junior Senior, where are you? It was pretty scary though, and and like it's interesting to remember, kind of not knowing what was up, and it's interesting to see the film and see like they didn't know either. You know, they didn't know where he was. They didn't know yeah. how long he would be there. Um, totally. We find out through the film they put a little title card up that you know Metallica will not play the Presidio again. So that kind of marks the end of the Presidio sessions. And I think they, I think they still had the lease on it for another like the first three months. He was yeah, in they waited, but they didn't know how long James would be gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, that had to have been like you know tough for the other guys in the band and like all the crew working on the record and stuff. Like waiting around for three months, nothing's going on. All of a sudden, it's like uh, we got to get out of this place now. 
and I know Go a lot of up. I know a lot of fans are, are real honed in on you know what's been dubbed the Presidio Sessions, yeah, um, who contend that a lot of the material created there is not what ended up on Saint Anger, and there's this sort of body of interesting work that they want to see come out that might be part of potential bonus features on a Saint Anger deluxe box set, blah blah blah. So. It'll be interesting to see what comes of that. I I know that from what I heard in the film, I did not like any of it. I mean, I mean, I, I'm sure there's some moments in there, cool riffs, this and that. I, I just, I don't know the answer to this, but I mean, I'd just be curious to know, like, were there even completed songs, like, you know what I mean? That, that well, I think they would temptation, be proud of. I think temptation, temptation. They started there, yeah. I think temptation. Temptation is the only unreleased song from the film that you can hear in its entirety. You're right. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Other unreleased tracks in the film, and I I don't know how any of these go, but Shadow of the Cross, Dead Kennedy Rolls, More Than This Whipping Boy. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to distinguish those. I know that when Lars screams fuck into the SM7, that's the music he's screaming fuck into is a song that's not on St. Anger. Right. Yeah, I mean, and as, as you see in the whole film, I mean... They like when Lars talks about the funnel, you know, of all these ideas to his dad. It's like, so these presidio sessions, it was the same shit. It was them in a room jamming for hours and then just cutting and pasting all these little things in Pro Tools mm-hmm. to make parts, to make transitions, to make a chorus or a bridge. So, I mean, uh, you know, until they, if it, when and if they ever want to release that crap, I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> they ever will, honestly. I honestly don't think they ever will. I don't either. So people, and I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm 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 cool like that. I'm cool like that. I don't have the I don't have the curious. We, like we you know we, we've had you know fans of the podcast reach out to us and talk about this stuff, and and give us more info on it. But it's just not something to me as a Metallica fan that I'm like dying to hear. You no, know what I, mean? I agree. Like, I would like to hear if they've got secret songs that re- they recorded for you know puppets or justice they didn't put on the record and no one's ever heard. You know, things like that. I agree. Well, here's the bad news. I mean, it's just, and it's just straight up bad news. The best of all of that shit, truly, the best of it was St. Anger. And, yeah, totally. And this is, so I, I, I don't want to go mining those CD depths anytime soon because yeah. we got the best of it and it's not that great. Yeah, totally. Um, I like this, uh, this next scene with, with, uh, with Lars and old, uh, Torben hanging out on the on the Lars's new property. Well, it's actually really fascinating, and it's actually another moment where I think it's a uh, beautiful property <laughs> that my son bought. Uh, it says in Northern California, uh, I I will build this log cabin out of walking sticks on this property one day soon. Torben, are you a fan of Marin County? Is that an area? Oh, of it's it's, you like? it's a it's uh, so gorgeous up there. I I take trips on my carpet around the the county, and sometimes I stop by and see James's property. And Kirk's property in his ranch when he's riding his horses, and it's so beautiful. Let me ask you a question: Does do you get? Is there any sort of altitude issue when you're on your carpet and you're up in, in sort of the, the hills of Marin County? Is there an altitude issue? Uh, no, not usually. Uh, I, I can't. <laughs> yeah, damn it! <laughs> Hang on, I, I got this. I got this. Uh, no, usually I keep a spare uh, tank of oxygen inside my beard, <laughs> so if I miss these high altitudes. It's uh, much easier to um, not delete my journey, and I can keep hovering to my carpet. Oh, a tank of oxygen in your beard. You must have a very strong back, Torben. Oh, it's it's, it's very strong. All the tennis is very is very much helped. Wow. Yeah, thank you, Torben. <laughs> You're welcome. It is a good scene, though, where Phil, again, Phil, this sort of golem to me, 
Yeah. It also impresses me though, because he's talking he about, does. he's talking about, you know, isn't it nice? Cause, cause Torben's talking about Metallica's place in metal history very right. succinctly. He's talking about the new wave of British heavy metal. And he's like, you know, Lars came in and had this vision and they were making music that people hadn't heard before. And he was saying, you know, Metallica has a place in all of this. And, yeah. Phil, and Phil goes, man, Lars, how does it feel to like have your dad have so much perspective on who you are and your life's work? Lars gets so uncomfortable. So here. does Torben though. Torben's and they like, both do. What's, yeah. What would you, what would you say in private? To who? To anybody if, without him here. Say it. I mean, what would, what would it be? Well, I've, I mean, I've already said it to you countless times. Well, have you said it to him? <laughs> um, what is it that you, you, you brought it up. I didn't bring it up. What is it you feel you've said that you're not saying now? You, I think maybe can, in some way, you know, some of the, um, to me, that's the, uh, fear of status quo comes a little bit from this direction over here. I think that, um, I mean, there's nothing worse than when I have to go to him and play the new record and know there's something on there that sucks. And he can see right through that in two and a half seconds flat. They're both well, like, look, Torben's like leaning down like he's looking at an ant. He's like leaning as far, he's got he his He starts face. like stretching his leg and stuff. Oh, believe me, he's pretending to stretch because he doesn't know how to just... It, I don't know. think you realized how sore my, my right leg was <laughs> when climbing those hills. Dude, they both just got super awkward, and it's it's beautiful, but it's also, again, kind of sad. that. Well, there's that whole thing with Lars that we, we've seen a lot you know, in stuff that he you know, very much so seeks his dad's approval. Yeah, and he says you know, as much, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even, even standing there out in that field, I mean, he's like... You know, Phil, I, I got to give it to old Phil here. He pulls it out of me. He's like, well, what would you say if your dad wasn't here? You know? Right. It's it's like actually kind of a cool growing moment, I think, for them. Yeah, Phil, you go, man. Man, you rock on, weirdo Phil. <laughs> Fucking weirdo Phil Tao. <laughs> He's also got some pretty sweet pairs of shorts in this documentary, too. <laughs> Oh, dude, you can't wear you can't wear an oversized yellow sweater without a killer pair of khaki shorts. It's just not going to happen, dude. <laughs> I might go as Phil Tal for Halloween next year. Just confuse the hell out of all my friends that aren't Metallica fans. What are you supposed to be? I'm Phil Tal. Who's that? Phil... Watch this documentary. Yeah, I'm Phil Tal, of course. What do you mean, who am I? Jesus. And all I'm going to do is go to my friend's Halloween party and just like put post-it notes I'm... everywhere. Dude, I'm the angel of Metallica. Zone it. I'm zoning it. I'm the angel of creeping death. You're just wearing a fucking sign that says zone. Or you're just carrying like a little dry erase board writing zone it <laughs> yeah, in totally. various rooms. Exactly. Uh, speaking of zoning it, this is our infamous delete zat scene where they play, uh, what did they play? Like the echo song, echo chamber song. And it's clearly yeah. terrible. And it's weird because Lars is like, wow, this is one we're really excited about. And this is the one that Cliff Bernstein says should open the record. <laughs> yeah. And, and Torben's like, uh, that, that I, may I, be, I, but I really, I really think I not. don't think so. Yeah, I don't I think, think so. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you I know, mean, he, he uses a phrase, he uses a phrase that I've used a lot about Sanger where I say, you know, it just doesn't cut it. And and Torben yeah. says that exact sentence, and he's right. It just he's so right. Yeah, it, it it only makes sense if this band exists in a vacuum and hasn't made the records they've already made. When right. You, yeah. When you when you look at the things these dude his son did, that shit doesn't fucking cut it. And you 
you know i mean you, you can like sing like saint anger all you want if if you've whether you've like grown to like it or you liked it originally or you you're trying to justify it and you feel like you have to like it regardless of what you feel about this record if you put this next to the black album justice puppets all that shit Come it's on. like it doesn't cut it fucking it get doesn't. real we're not trying to talk shit here we're not trying to be assholes we're just saying we're saying what we're saying what i'm saying it doesn't <laughs> cut it Torben, we hear you. We got it. We're saying what I'm saying. Hello, me. We're saying what I'm <laughs> oh, saying. Da- Hello, David. I love your segment in this documentary. I don't think I'll ever hear Sweating Bullets quite differently again after Pawpaw's stirring rendition. God, the stirringest. Um, <laughs> so then, then we realize they flash it up there. James has been away for three months. Yeah. Which is a really long time to not know if the front man of the biggest band in the world is coming back. I'm sure everyone uh, and was this is, real And this freaked. is like, this is like, like, like half the time he's actually gone. Oh, yeah. They have a lot more to go. And Bob says that he knows a friend who knows where James is and says that he doesn't see James doing anything for six more months. And this is when Lars kind of famously says he's prepared for the worst. Yeah, totally. And then we get one of my favorite scenes of the whole documentary, which is which is Kirk on his ranch, and he's like riding a horse. He's like sort of awkwardly bouncing on the horse. Like, oh yeah, Kirk's not a cowboy. <clears throat> cowboy Kirk, man. You, cowboy you sure Kirk. About that? Cowboy Kirk. Listen, I, I, it's kind of silly it is it is to see Kirk like on the ranch in a cowboy hat and riding a horse. Um, I do like that he kind of goes into this whole thing about being out there and being away from like any worry of the band and, and you know, I'm not anywhere where people can like talk to me. He's just all by himself out there. Well, he, he says, he, he says a sentence that really struck me where he says, I come out here to remember what's real. Yeah. And that was eye opening for me. Like I thought that was really astute of him. Yeah. Me too. You know, Kirk, Kirk is, for for all the sort of strange, <laughs> odd behavior he displays in a lot of ways in this band, he actually yeah. comes through in a lot of ways, sort of like spiritually, that impresses yeah. me. Agreed. I, I was going to say, Kirk, Kirk is definitely kind of like the Zen character of Metallica. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, you know, I mean, I think I think he's got a seat on that on that rug of Torben's, um, you know, to, to float around. But I mean. It's true. Like, you know, even when he talks about going out in the ocean and surfing and stuff like that, you know, um, that he found something that, you know, is more important than drugs and partying and this and that. It's the same thing he's on his ranch and he's just, ta- you know, talking about recognizing what's real. It's like, it, I guess it, for him, it probably puts things in perspective. There's this huge giant band that is Metallica. But when I come out here, like, that's not important anymore. This is like real shit. This is just regular life and, you know, just being out in nature. Yeah, well, and it's just his role in the band, you know, we had a a listener write in a few weeks ago that, man, I wish I could remember who it was. I'm sorry that I can't, but I think it was Alex Finney, our listener Alex Finney, talking about Kirk's sort of relationship in between James and Lars and being sort of a neutralizing force that otherwise they might have kind of ripped each other apart, but he kind of holds it together a little bit, I think. I think he may be a little underappreciated in that regard, and but and you can kind of see right. you can kind of see some of that in this scene, as silly as it is to see him with a fucking cowboy hat on a goddamn Clydesdale, <laughs> bouncing around the mountains of his ranch. It, it is an interesting moment, and especially juxtaposed. And I think they intentionally did this, right? So 
you've got Kirk at his ranch talking some Zen shit, talking about what's real, right? Yeah. Then yeah. you got the dun dun dun, the most insane part of the documentary to me, the Mustaine interview. Have you ever thought what what I've been through? I think I've had an awareness of the pain I caused you. Um, that's not what I said. Okay. Um, do you have any idea of what I put you through? What? No, no, no. What I went through. I mean, people hate me because of you. You know, I, I walk down the street and I hear some piece of shit say, Metallica at me, and they do that to taunt me. I mean, when I would hear Metallica on the radio, I would be like, God, I have to turn this off because I just keep thinking, I fucked up. Right. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. You know, and by no means is it done because somebody else very important is not here. Right. Now, I've watched this movie like you. I don't know if I've watched it 15 or 20 times, but definitely maybe around 10, 10 or 12. Yeah, yeah. This scene never is very redeeming for me, other than for Lars. I think I understand why Dave was bummed that it came yeah. out. because it, Hang on, he let, let, me, let me get ready for this real quick. All right, continue, <laughs> please. He does not come off very well in this, and I know he has said that it, he was, yeah. it was edited to make him appear unfavorable, which is definitely possible, but they didn't put the fucking words into his mouth. No, they did not. I mean, th- there, there, are, there are parts of things that he says that I can definitely understand, like, okay, I've been through this shit. You don't know how frustrating it is to be the guy who got kicked out of Metallica and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, man, that that's on you. Well, first of all, it's his fault. Uh, you know, the the, the the nicest moment is when he says, do I wish that you guys would have told me to go to AA? He's like, yeah. And do I wish that I could have another chance? You know, he said, I would give anything for that. All right. Yeah. Now, that's the right thing to say. Now, when he's, that's talking, the right thing to say. When he's talking about, uh, <laughs> do you know what? you know what it's like being in my shoes or whatever? And Lars and Lars is surprisingly being doing a lot of listening, which I know isn't he easy. Is. It isn't easy for anyone, yeah. including me. And a lot of like empathy. He's like, I understand, you know, because, and David, but David's saying crazy stuff. He's like, I spent my whole life feeling like a piece of shit and I'm number two. And meanwhile, they're showing the title card saying Megadeth has sold over 15 million records. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, when yeah, every, he, he's like, you have to think everything you do, everything I do backfires. backfires. Am I happy being number two? No. I'm like, first of all, motherfucker. 15 not, million albums? Well, n- number one, that's no joke. Number two, you're not number two, homie. Sorry. You're not the number two metal band. <laughs> uh, but it, it's just a strange, strange exposition on the poisoning of the mind of these rock yeah. stars. Totally. He's like, Lars, have you walked, have you walked in, have you considered what it's like to walk in my shoes? Yeah, what I actually went through. I'm like, God, Dave, shut up. I mean, the, you know, there's a part of me that like, the, you know, there's a bit of sympathy I have for him for what he went through at the same time. Like we said, it's like, dude, like it's, it was your fault. I mean, yeah, maybe they handled it poorly and drove you across the country in a U-Haul before firing you, but it's 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 his fault. It's something that he's hung on to for way too long. That you know, and a lot of that had to do with you know. I mean, obviously, is if everyone likes Megadeth and has researched them, 
I mean, that dude went through some hard ass drug years, really hard. Yeah. You I mean, know? But- so no joking that he never dealt with this stuff. So it's no wonder, you know, here we are in the early 2000s and he's still hanging on to it. Well, and you just touched on something that I think is sort of part of like a key to this film is what we're really seeing is a bunch of adult grown men who are still kind of like, they're still kind of, they never really had to mature beyond 19 and 20 when they, when they started touring. For those of you who have toured or have seen this movie, touring is a bit of a, there's an arrested development that can happen with your maturity because yeah. everything's taken care of. You can drink whenever you want. You can drink during your job. In yeah, fact, yeah. you can drink during your job and afterwards people will praise you for it. Oh yes, they definitely will. And I think what, what a lot of what this film sort of sadly exposes on both sides of it, even with Lars is just sort of the, the arrested development of these dudes. Who are, yes, who are totally. struggling struggling with things that people struggle with, sort of the disarray and and poisoning of relationships through years yeah. of, of lack of communication. But it's just at the ego level, I mean, for this dude to talk about how everything he does backfires. You know what I think all the time when I see him say that? I think, what a disrespectful thing to say to your fans. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, unfortunately, I think we know now that you know, <clears throat> you know, Dave has gotten past this stuff, and, and he maybe he looks back on his career fondly, and it's like, okay, that wasn't a backfire. But at the time, I mean, he was clearly still thick in this stuff and thinking about it all the time. I mean, he was only forty years old, like, <clears throat> you know, and he's still hanging on to this stuff. Like, dude, he tweets about Metallica. All, do you follow him on Twitter? Yes, I do. Yeah. He tweets about Metallica all the time. He does. I he, do enjoy on Twitter when he when he says the words, "My little Danish friend." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I remember we used to. I remember the day we dug a hole in the ground and talked about smoking hash. Yeah, I'll, you know, I, I would say at one one I think endearing moment with, during this Mustaine section is when he is talking about you know like I haven't been able to you know anytime I've ever tried to talk about this over the years I'm talking to Lars from Metallica. Right. He's like I'm not talking to my little Danish friend. Right. You know, and that's the one point where I feel some sympathy where I'm like you know what like maybe he has reached out maybe he has tried to deal with this I don't know. I wasn't there, but you know, um, and you can see it in Lars's face. He kind of looks at him like, Oh fuck. Uh, yeah, shit. We've never done this, you know? Right. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, you get to a certain age, you're an adult and you got some baggage you're holding on to. Like you got to do what you have to do to deal with it. Yeah, I think so too. And and he's still not even satisfied. You know, the segment ends with him saying, well, it's not even over yet because someone else important isn't here. Yeah. He's in rehab motherfucker. Yeah. He can't true. talk to you about what happened 100,000 fucking years ago. <laughs> Dude, they were all damaged. Maybe not Lars, but James, definitely like a damaged kid. Yeah, for sure. He didn't know how to deal with that shit. His dad leaving and his mom dying and all that shit. It's like, they were yeah, they totally. were young, dude. They didn't deal with it well. They're alcoholics. Yes. Come on. They are. All right, we can move on from this. Uh, this is another one of my favorite scenes where Lars, Bob, and Kurt go to see Echo Brain. I love this scene because it is like the most humbling scene for Lars. Oh, he can't believe he's like, you know, I thought they were going to play in front of like 15 drunks and then I'm realizing it's kind of a bigger deal and they go and it's kind of packed, but it's not like everyone's going crazy. Well, let's be honest. I mean, the people are there to not see Echo Brain. They're here. They're there to see Jason Newstead from Metallica. Well, and they probably heard that fucking Metallica, but three, the other members of Metallica are going to be there with a goddamn film crew. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, oh, actually, 
uh, they, you know, that had to have been set up because you can't just walk into a club and start filming. Right. Without posting shit. No, dude. <clears throat> and it's we- it's really weird because then they go backstage and Jason splits without saying bye, which I know they were having troubles, but it doesn't sound like him to do that. He- here's Here's what I noticed even today when watching it. The other two dudes in the band look like they're trying to act right there. Yeah, I agree. They're like, hey, where's Jason? And they're like, oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe he split, man. Like, they just, like, they look like bad actors right yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's re- like, it's it's jive. It's either that or or they were just, like, super nervous that, oh, shit, it's Kirk and Lars from Metallica and there's a film crew behind them. No, you know? I'm with you. I'm with you. It's jive. It's some jive bullshit. I will say that one of my, one of the funniest lines is, like, so they go back out front and they're like, they're like oh, there's Kessel and there's Todd. There's Steve. No, Steve works in the am- studio. And Lars Bob goes... Bob Rock's amazing. And Bob's like, yeah, he works with... And so Bob Rock's keeping naming people. And Lars goes, I'm sure they're all here, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and Lars Bob- talking about how he feels like a loser, how Jason's the future and Metallica's the past. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me, Echo Brain? You're what? still in. You're still in Metallica. Yeah, if it you is could like you go back shake and, him. Yeah, it's like you want to shake yeah, him. Be like, dude, you're in fucking Metallica. Or, or, or if you can go back in time, even if that was their last record and they broke up, you were still in Metallica, dude. If you could just go back in time and be like, hey man, so the San Anger thing. Uh, trust me, like most of the fans aren't going to really dig it. Uh, you're going to end up not really playing those songs live anymore. But you're going to make two great records called Death Magnetic and Hardwired to Self Destruct. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Or like, dude, at the very least, you're the guy who played the drums on Mama Said. Exactly. So, but at this point, James has been away for six months. So they're they're spinning, dude. They're freaked out, and this is where we find out that Kirk has talked to James, which is a shock to Lars. Yeah. And Kirk says, you know, he's in a good place, but he feels like he can't talk to you about the space he needs. And Lars is feeling super disrespected. James yeah. writes a note to the a letter to the new edition of So What magazine. Yeah. And then it's finally April 12, 2002, and James is back at HQ. He's grumpy about the filming. I mean, I, I, I can only imagine. I mean, he's just got out of months and months of rehab and rebuilding his family and all this stuff, and all of a sudden he walks in the studio and there's fucking cameras in his face. He's, he's like, like, well, he's like, what's the camera doing here? They're like, uh, dude, we've been filming every day since you've been gone. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> Wait do you see the echo brain footage. <laughs> <laughs> But I, but I can't I, I I couldn't imagine like being what being through what he went through, and you know everything in rehab is all about just like crushing ego and it's oh, just for like, sure, and him walking in going oh shit this is essentially what I I I should be against right now. Well, and this is really where the documentary and it's it's a bummer because we're gonna have to wrap it up here in a few minutes. But this is kind of where the documentary starts to take on a sort of more transcendent light for me. Yeah, is all this stuff that happens when James comes back, and <clears throat> he's talking about being uncomfortable, but he's going to move forward. You know, he, they kind of get him back on with the vision of like, no, we've got a really interesting film to make. And right. he's, but he's talking about how Metallica has been this beast that sucks that sucked him into it. And, right. and another great moment from Phil is Phil. Phil says, you know, for a while you were the keeper of that beast, which I thought was he's, just another home run from Phil. Yeah, he's right. Totally right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, yeah, he obviously let like he let it happen for so long. I mean, man, do we like Phil now? Shit, I don't know. <laughs> Again, it's the it could could all just be the favorable editing. Yeah, it's true. But maybe I, so. I did I did have a different perspective on it last night when I watched it. Um, 
and th- this is one of the more important takeaways for me here before we kind of wrap it up for the part one, but they talk about, James is saying that he's talking about balance and he's saying that the priority has always been the collective, but he's saying that now the priority needs to be the individual, right? You know what I'm, see, you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? Oh, yeah, yeah. And Lars is saying, no, like the priority is that we're a band called Metallica and it unless the band decides to focus on one person, like you needed to go to rehab or, you know, they, they talk about Kirk in the 90s got a little squirrely. They had to kind of focus right, on right. Kirk. He's like, but until then, like it's, and, and here's, here's what sort of my epiphany was that, you know, James is obviously the spiritual center of the band, but Lars is, yes. Lars is more practical and pragmatic. He is. Yeah. And it's kind of what makes them so great together. But in this scene, you really see that they're really on two separate planes. Oh yeah. Definitely. And that's where a lot of the problems are. Yeah. It's, well, to me it's also too, like I, I felt like Lars didn't really have like he wants his friend to be fine. He wants to, he, he just, he's just anxious and impatient to get this machine rolling again, you know? Yeah. Cause he doesn't, he doesn't share the same, like Lars had a pretty good childhood. He really did. Oh yeah, for sure. Well loved, well taken care of, well educated. I gave, right. I gave, I gave him all the best things. Right. Thank goodness for you, Torben. Whereas James, Thanks, James had kind of a nightmare childhood. Oh yeah. And so you're seeing James who kind of comes from this place of fear and Lars comes to this place of kind of like, he's trying to be empathetic, but he's kind of like, look, get over it. Like, we'll make a balance. Yeah. Find a balance in your life so we can come back to the band and work. The one thing that bums me out about Lars in this scene is that, like, I feel like he, he really does have no sympathy for James, no empathy. He's just, he he's just like, okay, cool, you're back. Let's just keep going now. Like, he doesn't even want to try to learn about what James just went through. Yeah, it is the kind of, like, it is his cringe. The cringe I feel for him is sort of his inability to kind of slow down and sit in it yeah which yeah, is really sure. what james needed it seems like to oh me. yeah but he just gets you know he, uh, he at one point like tells james like i think you're just self-absorbed and all this stuff and it's like whoa dude like like james has this whole new lease on life and he's and he's trying to re- readapt himself into the world of metallica and at the same time f- focusing on his sobriety and rebuilding his family and all this stuff and lars is just like i don't give a shit are you better now let's keep going you know well, and this is when they start talking about the James only wants to work from noon to four. He's kind of put these creative boundaries for himself. And this is when Lars is just starting to just squirm. Oh, yeah. Because I think James takes it a little far where he's saying, you guys can't even listen to what we've done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah on one end, it, yeah, it, that totally is shitty. At the same time, he, he makes a, a, a decent point where he's just like, you know, I don't want you guys listening to all this stuff when I'm gone and making all these decisions, you know. It's a tough thing, man, because like these other dudes have been waiting around for six plus months for James to come back. And then he comes back and all, all these rules. And at the same time, he needs those rules. I mean, all, all these things he's coming forward with, this new sense of control and, and how he has to do things to, in order to operate in Metallica again. I respect it, too, because it's like he's not only trying to, you know, uh well, how much I'm trying to figure out what good way to say this. Um, he's not only trying to like rebuild what is, has been built up and broken with Metallica. He's doing the same thing with his family. He's doing the same thing with his own self. Right. So he's in a tough ass spot, you know, they, the whole, everyone is dude. Cause even Bob, oh, yeah. you know, Bob's wanting to work too. And Bob even says, he's like, you know, if we're only going to work from 12 to four, I respect it, but we're going to have to work harder. 
And then immediately right. James is like, that makes, I'm fearful of that. What do you mean? And Bob's just saying, look, if you're willing to go deep really quick, then we can do this in four hour spurts. But yeah, totally. what, you've made records. I've made records. You know, sometimes it takes a while to get to a place where you're ready to really start laying shit down. I don't think I've ever been in the studio for four hours or less. Well, especially when they're doing it this way where they're, they have no pre-production. They're right. basically having to write the record in the studio. And so Bob, as a producer, is going, oh, shit, like we have four hours a day to write the song, pre-pro the song, and get great performances of a song. Yeah. He's yeah. just like, and he's thinking about that deadline. And he's like, we're going to have to work a lot harder. Well, as a producer, he obviously sees the bigger picture here. Yeah. It's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. Like you, you feel for everyone on both sides. Um, I I think the only time I get frustrated with Lars is when, and he's just showing like just nothing but frustration towards James and James is trying so hard just to be like, okay, he, you can see him at certain points, like tapping his fingers on the table and taking deep breaths. Yeah. Like he's trying not to explode at Lars and Lars is just like back into his normal thing. Well, the last kind of scene that we'll sort of end on is it's exciting because it's it's kind of they're 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 landing on frantic. They're all in the control room writing right. lyrics. Kirk ends up writing the lifestyle determines my death style, rising tide that pushes the other side. Um, Bob lands on the hook. Beep 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 beep. Oh my god! Yep. I looked for that clip again today on YouTube, but it's just gone. Like Bob Rocks had people <laughs> wipe it off the internet. It just it doesn't work. The just... great the great you did one great thing. You did this one syncopated thing. Do the whole verse like that. But they start to land on the song, right? Like they kind of start to finally get it to work. And then Bob goes, just FYI, it's a quarter to four. And it's just palpable that like James's new infrastructure of having to leave at four is definitely hindering them capitalizing on an exciting moment in the studio. Oh, uh, by the way, it's quarter to four. I gotta get rolling, guys. Sorry. And as we know, th- those are the moments in the studio where, like, you don't want to. No, that's like, that's keep when you this rolling. You you because that's like catching fucking lightning in a bottle. Like you have yeah. to. And Bob, as a producer, it's got to be so fucking frustrating. And so James is, sticks to his guns and leaves and goes and sees his daughter do ballet, and it's actually a really nice moment. Yeah. But then they're having a conversation the next day, and James is talking about you know, I don't want you guys, I feel guilty when I want to leave, like you guys are all talking about it. And this is when we get the sort of infamous fuck you scene, the fu- the fuck scene. Yeah. Fuck. I don't want to end up like Jason, okay? I don't want to be pushed away. I don't want it to happen twice. Let's do it and let's fucking do it full on and let's not do it at all. Fuck. See? Fuck. Fuck! It's a low blow, you know, with Lars saying he doesn't want to end up like Jason. I, th- I felt like that yeah. was kind of a low blow. Totally, man. No, uh, th- th- this part, th- this is where I, I really feel like Lars like just is being such a dick to him. You know, I, 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 under- yeah, I understand I his frustration. Si- I see both sides of it, yeah. I just feel like as somebody, or, or uh, let me say this. I think what, what it, prob- it kind of does show is that prior to James going to rehab, those two dudes maybe never got real over the years. Like Lars even says, like, I feel like I did, I, I, the guy, like, I didn't, I don't even know you before. This. I feel like I never knew you. Yeah. It, I never knew. Yeah. That always struck me as like, 
the, you know them trying him trying to say the meanest thing. Yeah, possibly. You know, or I mean, I, I think it might the, be, the, Yeah, I think that might be true too. That James hid behind the alcohol and. Well, I mean, dude. I mean, literally from day one of the band starting, like they were fucking drinking like crazy and partying and playing metal and touring and chicks and all that stuff. You know, right? So, I mean, this is the first time that like James has had a clear head in twenty years in this band. So I, I can imagine. And Lars obviously isn't clean at this point. So he's he's also probably dealing with his own personal issues with James as a friend. Like I just lost my buddy that I used to party with forever. Well, we've mentioned it before, but it's Lars, the dude that's always sort of been in control of their destiny for the first time being completely out of control. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's a very weird thing to see him feel out of control. And And that's, I think that's telling him like he's just pacing around that kitchen. Well, and it's, and it's him not yet having the tools to deal with that kind of conflict. Right. Yeah. You know, like never really needing those tools. And so it's so fascinating. We got to see this on, I mean, it's like fucking here on camera documented. That shit is no joke. No joke at all. I love it. I do too. And, And on this note, probably the climax of the film, we should, uh, we should bring it to a close. Yeah, we definitely should, because um, we got a whole part two to do. Well, we've got, you know, we've got Rob's audition. We've got, you know, then working on the unnamed feeling. We, we have the Kirk, the infamous Kirk with the solos. We have the MTV icon. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff to come up. Uh, one of our favorite songs, Sweet Amber. Oh, boy. Even the dude, I mean, we'll even get into some of the Napster stuff because they'd even do a little montage on that. That was one thing I meant to point out earlier as we close this is I love that they kind of do a montage on every member of the band. Right. Um, they do like montages on uh, important parts of the band's history, whether it's the Napster thing, the Jason thing. There are these little like five minute segments where they kind of go deep with each person. It's, right. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And, and we've got James confronting Phil and. And we, you know, as we all know, how the story does end is the record comes out finally, and it's it, it's number one in like a hundred thousand countries. And Saint wait, Anger. so we don't need, so do we not need to do a part two now? Well, we're, we're going to do a part two to sort of you know uh, analyze, but <laughs> hopefully everyone knows what happened with Metallica in two thousand three. Yeah, it was I quite a long do. time ago. God, that seem it, that doesn't seem like a long time ago. It really doesn't. Like, it makes me 14 feel, years ago. It makes me feel really fucking old. 14 years ago. I wasn't even married to my wife yet. That's weird. Oh my god. Wow. I hadn't even hit Anyways. puberty yet. <laughs> I had no hair in my armpits. I didn't even have hair on my butt yet. <laughs> I didn't have that gross neck hair yet. <laughs> gross <laughs> neck hair. Well, what happened is I'm losing all my hair upstairs, and I'm getting it all on my back and in my ears. And uh, I told my wife, <laughs> what's my wife's name? I told my wife, Mimo, she had to pick it all out with tasers. I feel like it should be pa- like Papa and Mama. Well, I'll read it. Mima, so, so I dubbed the Mama. So I dubbed the Mama. All right, thanks for listening. We're going to do a part two next week. Just a lot yes. to talk about. What can we say? So send, us, send us your thoughts, metal up your podcast show at gmo.com. If you're lucky, we will read them on the next thing. Don't forget to go stop by iTunes, leave us that review so you can win shit. You, we are now win the benevolent some good shit. givers of good Metallica swag that we will give you. The it's, almost w- it, it's almost wintertime. You want that fucking Metallica blanket around oh, your body. Oh, you're going to be real cold come wintertime, okay? Oh, you're yeah. going to be real cold come wintertime. 
Guess the way to warm up is. Oh, leave us a review on iTunes and get that fucking blanket. Oh, here's your two options. See, all right. You either freeze to death. See, all right. Burr. Or you get that master of puppets fleece that we're gonna send you, and you cover up your bones and your skin, and you get oh, warm, so okay? warm, and you survive. That's so warm. I love it. You live to it's see so another warm. day. Yeah, it's really warm. It's super I'm swe- warm. I'm sweaty. I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> what else should we say uh, oh you know what we should say we should say sincere thank you to all of you who listen every week we really do appreciate you all oh of course yeah we love it it's we, awesome we, uh, we think about you all the time from far one, away. One, one final thing I, I, will, I will throw out there that I'm really excited about is I'm currently in Mexico City right now and I'm coming home as you're listening to this I came home yesterday um, but the next uh, good amount of episodes we're actually going to be together and we got some feedback about that this week through emails and stuff that, you know, the chemistry is better when we're in the same room. Well, we're going to be definitely doing the last, you know, we're going to round off the year together at home at HQ1. So that is exciting. Uh, it's, going to, it's very exciting, yeah. We're going to do so, some kind yeah. of monster part two. We're going to do our, our Greg Fiddleman episode with our friend Paul Moak. We're going to yeah, have our some friend good stuff coming up. Tom Quee from Alpha Metallica on in December. Um, we've got the prize giveaways for November and December. So it's, it's all good shit. And we've got our one year anniversary show that we're planning in December also that we're going to yeah, do. Yeah. More, more, more info soon. TBA. TBA y'all. The black album. All right. Das, das black album son. <laughs> Much love and peace to you all out there, wherever you are. We do hope you're all well, and we will see you next week. Peace. Adios. <laughs> Advice or what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>